Today on Coco Disaster, devil trigger in the eyes, only see blood when a devil cries. And welcome to Coco Disaster. I'm Chorpsaway, and for today's single-serving episode, I have a very special guest. Hey folks, it's me, Sid Menon, a.k.a. Beam Splash. Welcome to the show, Beam Splash. Uh, we had you on last year to talk about uh, Gundam 0080, War in the Pocket, and, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're handling maybe what you might call lower art than <laughs> last time. <laughs> Not to say necessarily that it's worse, but it is. We're going to be talking about the Devil May Cry anime, properly known as Devil May Cry the Animated Series, which is not an adaptation of the video game series of the same name, but instead is, I guess, like a side story sort of thing. Like, it technically ties into the canon but it doesn't really have any sort of weighty consequences that would revolve in the games. It's a it's a very strange sort of spin-off that ends up not really having much to do or say. Yeah, it's more of a you like Devil May Cry? You like anime? Well here you go. Here is some more of those things you like. <laughs> right here. You're going to get the two things you want, and maybe not in the way that you'd expect, because um, <laughs> we're going to get into it more, but, like, from the impression that I got from, like, lo- from kind of seeing the games from afar, because I've never played them, like, this feels very, it feels very off from what I expected. Like, it doesn't quite feel like what I've come to understand Devil May Cry as. <laughs> Like, you know, I always expected Dante to be a little more smarmy, like, have a little more, like, pizzazz to him, but he's, like, he's really none of those things <laughs> in this anime. <laughs> but, um, before we get into sort of the, the bigger discussion, since you are a fan of the game series... Uh, you've prepared sort of a small introduction to to the series as a whole that maybe help, will help us get better inundated with uh, what's coming up. Yeah, because Devil May Cry, though it's a big deal, there are a lot of people now who haven't actually played the games, and because of their age and various advancements in the, the character action genre of games, would find them hard to go back to. So I figured I'd just throw this in. They might be more familiar with uh, DMC Devil May Cry, the ah, reboot. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Let's. We're just gonna not talk about that for the sake of like me not wanting to generate arguments with people who like that. I don't. Uh, I will say, the anime might appeal you to you more because he's more like the reboot Dante than this continuity's Dante. All right, so let's let, let's talk a little bit about Devil May Cry, the PS2 series. Yeah, so the first game came out in 2001. It was directed by Hideki Kamiya, who's now mo- known more for platinum games like Bayonetta and also the favorite game of his, Blocking People on Twitter. And <laughs> uh, Devil May Cry was originally one of the ideas that was going to become Resident Evil 4, but it was considered too different. It was too supernatural. So they spun it off into its own game, and it was noted for not only the stylish action, but also having a cocky protagonist who, when he comes up against a big monster, throws a one-liner at it instead of being scared. Though, funnily enough, when Resident Evil 4 came out, they'd also have a cocky protagonist who throws out one-liners when he sees monsters instead of being scared. Right. Uh, And uh, obviously it was a huge success. It pretty much created that whole genre. Uh, The sequel came out in 2003, but halfway through its production, they never really seemed to have like named the first director of the project. Uh, they didn't get Hideki Kamiya back for reasons that we still don't really know. Uh, but they brought on Hideaki Itsuno to direct it, and so for the second half of the project, he had to develop a full game out of pretty much nothing. And it ended up kind of like you'd expect for a game that was made in half the time it was supposed to be made in. Uh, it, it had a lot of changes that fans had requested, but pushed to a degree that no one really liked. Uh, Dante is much quieter in that one. Like, he has a couple of lines, but he doesn't really have much of an attitude anymore. He just doesn't say a lot. Mm. Yeah, and the game was also significantly easier, which, after the first game, like, came out swinging with such high difficulty, it kind of turned people off. But they gave Itsuno another shot with Devil May Cry 3 in 2005, and that one was built from the ground up, completely reinvigorated the series. It had brand new cutscenes that were directed by action movie director Ryuhei Kitamura. Oh. Uh, who huh. would go on to do the cutscenes for uh, Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes, which people have some, uh, some issues with in terms of <laughs> characterizing a veteran soldier who's too old for this shit doing ninja flips and stuff. But they were pretty cool. Yeah, it has a sense of style to it, for sure, that does feel in line with what I understand about Devil May Cry. Mm-hmm. Also, Devil May Cry 3 marks the first time Ruben Langdon did the voice for Dante. Uh, Ruben Langdon was a former Power Ranger, I believe, and oh. also uh, did stunts. So he did the... Not all, but a lot of the stunt motion capture for Dante in this game alongside the lines. And his physical and vocal performance gelled together really well to give him an attitude. I can understand someone thinking Devil May Cry 3 Dante is annoying because he does go like, woohoo a lot. But like, <laughs> I, I found it pretty amusing uh, at the time. And I still have some fondness for that specific interpretation. And he's the, he's the current, like, canon... Uh... Dante from Devil May Cry, right? Like, yeah. for the spinoffs and stuff, like, um, Marvel vs. Capcom and stuff still, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there was the reboot, different guy, different attitude. 
not going to go into it. But also right. Ruben Langdon went on to be Dante in Devil May Cry 4. And since he was supposed to be play a less, like, rowdy, like, more mature Dante, all the woo-hoo-hooing and stuff is much reduced. And he's just much more <laughs> likable. Like, I feel like they really nailed the character in Devil May Cry 4. And then they rebooted it. <laughs> Whoops. But um, with the talk of Devil May Cry 4, that sort of leads into how Devil May Cry, the animated series, got put together. Because sort of in tandem, we have the development of Devil May Cry 4 and Devil May Cry, the animated series, both being supervised by the producer of uh, Devil May Cry 4, uh, Hiroyuki Kobayashi. And so uh, the animated series was produced at Studio Madhouse in 2007, about half a year or so before the release of uh, Devil May Cry 4. So it is sort of like this build-up lead-in to that, like sort of to get people excited. And Studio Madhouse, pretty popular anime studio, but uh, for the sake of how it ties into why they may have gotten picked for Devil May Cry, the the some of the big things they've done is the the Gungrave animated series based on that particular PS2 <laughs> character action game about a guy with two guns, <laughs> and uh, Helsing Ultimate uh, episodes five through seven, uh, which is about a guy with two guns. <laughs> <laughs> this time also in red. Yeah, styled in red and also had plays a lot by the rule of cool as it were well <laughs> as cool as you can make else <laughs> but so you you kind of understand why maybe they got picked for this because they they they've done some sort of like bigger action stuff they have sort of that style down they've handled some pretty decent um video game adaptations what with gungrave where it does a good job of expanding on the story of the game as well as giving you the material from the from the source. At Studio Madhouse, it was directed by Shin Itagaki, who um, most notably, well, most notably before 2016 would have been known for being the uh, artist, writer, director, producer of all the TQ series at his studio, which is just him. Otherwise, he worked on Black Cat. He worked on Basquatch until he got fired for uh, being kind of stubborn. And uh, for more modern anime fans, probably best known for the disaster that is Berserk 2016-2017. So you may understand where this is coming from now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, things have come, and it seems like Shinidagaki is sort of like a hard-ass. Like, the issue isn't so much that he is, like, incompetent, but more that he's not willing to sacrifice enough to make a good product, so... Mm. That's a discussion for another time, but understand that from this, he has basically only done TQ and Berserk, so... So, Devil May Cry, the animated series, stands as an anime-exclusive story that is set between the first Devil May Cry and the fourth Devil May Cry, again, sort of as a lean-up to this new game. The the producer of the game, uh, Kobayashi, confirmed that it is canon for as much as that means. So, you know, this is this is canonical to the, the world of Devil May Cry, and it 
also has ties with other sort of spin-off material, such as the light novels and the manga being produced for Devil May Cry. Yeah. Also, just to clear up like what the timeline for Devil May Cry is, there's Devil May Cry 3, the prequel, then Devil May Cry 1, then Devil May Cry 4, and 2 is as far as we know, set some indistinct amount of time well after all of those. Probably just okay. going to be wiped from the canon if they ever come back to the continuity, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and so this, this anime tries to both be sort of like, you know, t- beholden to the games as well as all of the extra spinoff material that's been used. I think just kind of like to give more background to the characters in the world. So, yeah, it's it's trying to be a lot. And one thing that makes it seem like, oh, maybe it won't be so bad, is it includes a writer from the game series who's brought in named Bingo Morihashi, who worked on Devil May Cry 3 and 4 as, I believe, scenario design, and also wrote the Devil May Cry 4 novel. And he worked on four of the episodes. Uh, there are actually four writers on this series. Um, and other writers include the creator of Scrapped Princess and Chaika the Coffin Princess, uh, Ichiro Sakaki, and then some assorted writing staff on uh, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, Darker Than Black, uh, Dragon Ball, and Fist of the North Star. So it's it's kind of all over the place in terms of the, the people that they ask to write stories for this, and I think it shows. <laughs> That's one big thing, is that these episodes do not gel particularly well together due to the the sheer number of writers going in. Like, there is a season-long plot, sort of, but it feels like all of these people sort of interpret Dante and the cast in a very different way that... It's just... It's inconsistent. Yeah. Which for such a short series, like, I mean, I suppose it's about average length, but that's not a lot of time to be jumping around as much as it does. Right. And definitely there are some episodes that I think better capture these ideas than others. And (laughs) um, one other thing I wanted to point out is that um, while most of the cast is pretty, um, like, anime exclusive, like, they don't have a lot of game people coming back, the one thing that it does have is that uh, Dante is played by his game voice actor in both English and Japanese. So we have Ruben Langdon and Toshiyuki Morikawa reprising their role as Dante for the, the dub and the sub, respectively. So, you know, there, a lot of work, it seems, is being put in to try to make this sort of like appealing to the fans, as it were. Like a lot of, a lot of like buzzwords and sort of like buzz <laughs> topics being put in here to sort of entice people and like I guess I get it like yeah I watched this with certain expectations based on what like knowing some of these facts and it only led me to believe that other elements that are in the games are what generated the things I liked about the series ultimately because as you'll notice no involvement from Hideaki Itsuno in the anime. Right, no, none of the director or anything from the games come by. It's just the producer who really just, like, checks off on people doing stuff, right? Not gonna have, like, a, a heavy sort of, like, uh, talk about this. And also, I guess a writer, you know? Like, mm. and the writer has 
a third of the episodes to be able to to put that in. Yeah. Also worth noting about Ruben Langdon is because he did both the stunt and voice acting, he actually sort of put his own spin on that and like his physicality and his line deliveries give a very different impression of Dante than what you get with him reading just written lines from Bingo Morahashi, like translated, but it's, it's very different. Yeah. And um, I, one thing I thought was a little weird about this is that, like, despite this being produced in tandem with uh, Double May Cry 4, very little talk about it in build-up. Like, the only, like, interview or, like, discussion of it I could find was a, an interview with the producer, Kabayashi, which is basically just like, yep, we're working on both of them and they're going great. You know, we're building... <laughs> We're building the animated series to get fans excited for the release of Devil May Cry 4. It's like, you know, it's it's weird because, like, you find that a lot of interviews with people go back to their old work, you know, even things that haven't worked, and they discuss them. But, like, Shin Gaki, the only thing people have wanted to talk to him about for, like, the past two years, and even before that, they didn't really want to talk to him, is uh, <laughs> Berserk, because, you know... Zerk's a pretty big thing, and he's adapting it, and boy howdy. But yeah, so it's it seems like Devil May Cry, the animated series, is more or less forgotten in time. And maybe that's for the best. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. It's still strange, because you feel like something kind of as high profile as this, as far as like a, a series, sort of its prime, and a big adaptation... You'd think there would be a little more buzz around it, but really there's just nothing. Yeah, even though the series itself is laying dormant, like, whether you count the reboot or not, there's still, like, the definitive edition of that, and the special edition of Devil May Cry 4, like, very recently, and anytime there's buzz about a potential sequel happening, people are still really excited, so it's not that they don't care about Devil May Cry anymore. Right. It's just like they care about the, the, specifically the games. <laughs> they care about the parts that are like, you know, they feel like they have creative consistency. Yeah. It feels like it was created by a team working together. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, uh, with that preamble done, I think it's time to sort of get into the recap of the series and i'm sure we'll try kind of discuss the characters as we go along mm-hmm. kind of give an introduction to each of them and it starts with episode one devil may cry dante is introduced and it's like this this i sort of feel like hits that tone of what i expected dante to be so dante is the owner and proprietor of a company called devil may cry which is a a demon slaying company basically yeah, this show is presented that way. In the games, I assumed it was more of like a, like a detective agency. Okay, and he does a lot of odd jobs with this, as it were. But it's always like he's getting these supernatural jobs, and so that's that's his thing. So we have Dante, the Demon Slayer, noted badass. He walks into sort of the seedy bar, dead of night, and he asks for a strawberry sundae at the bar. Mm-hmm. And there's this. This is your first introduction to Dante, the character. And he, like, this opening felt, like, super reminiscent of what I understand from the games, where, like, he starts, like, talking shit to the patrons of the bar. (laughs) And sort of, like, you know, like, 
kind of make it a big buzz about the fact that this bar doesn't serve strawberry sundaes until the people in the bar and the bartender sort of like turn on him. And it turns out they're all demons, so he murders them in cold <laughs> blood. And this, this, along with later parts of the episode, really dig into something that is like both funny and sort of like really annoying about this series, which is that everything that happens is because of demons. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Like, he's inten- he, he's intentionally riled up these people because he knows they're demons and he's going to kill them. It is so mature as hell. <laughs> and that's just going to be the thing, too. Like, no matter what the problem is, always demons. <laughs> yeah. And the Strawberry Sunday thing is... Well, it's from the white novels, apparently. But it's just in that and in this anime. Not in the games at all. He's a pizza man. <laughs> right. And I did keep a pizza watch. So, episode one... The pizza he eats is a prosciutto and garlic potato pizza. <laughs> what an That's absolute good. animal. <laughs> so, um, Dante, throughout this anime, gets jobs from a guy named J.D. Morrison, who I believe is also light novel exclusive? Yeah. Okay, and so, basically, J.D. Morrison is just the guy who's like, hey, Dante, I got a job for you, and he just pops up and he's like, here's, here's a demon job. So... Mm-hmm. You know, not super important, but he pops up from time to time. And uh, for this first episode, Dante's job is to act as a bodyguard for this orphan named Patty Lowell, who's the heiress to a fortune. Basically, Dante has to escort her to where the will is held at the mansion so that she can collect her inheritance. And yeah, it's it, it's a really weird episode from there because it really is just like babysitting and like, Dante fighting with a literal child. <laughs> and this and Patty is just like having none of it. Like constantly throughout this series, Patty is sort of like demeaning him and making fun of him, like well deserved. Yeah. Certainly about his diet, but like Yeah, and she doesn't know anything about him at this point, but right. that aspect will not change after she does. <laughs> right, for sure. So Patty Lowell has a father who had Three more children who are all brothers, and they're mad that they're not getting any inheritance that's all going to this illegitimate child, Patty. And so they hire a bunch of demons to murder Patty yep. <laughs> on the way to the place. And so they have, uh, I guess, a fight on a train where a, a demon shows up and just murders someone next to Patty, and then Dante murders the demon. And that's just, that's kind of how the fights go, which really sucks is like Dante just sort of wins, and there isn't a lot of like, visceral action to it yeah also that aspect of characterization was very strange to me because this some stranger on the train is just trying to be nice to patty i guess and sits next to her and dante says like oh if you sit there you won't live for long they pass through the train and the stranger's face is totally smashed in like i didn't think dante just let people die he seems like like they're aren't a lot of moments in games where you see civilians, really. There's some in Devil May Cry 4, but like you can assume, I guess, that they've been wiped out by demons, but they don't really make a show of it. That's not part of the game's spectacle, because it's... Mm-hmm. I don't know, I think it's kind of a downer to watch a bunch of civilians get murdered by demons. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just me, but like, when there are characters that don't deserve to die in those stories dante would try to protect them in some form like you think the cool thing dante would do is this guy gets threatened he's not going to live long and then he kills the demon and it's like inches away from killing this dude and the guy would be freaked out and be like ah, i told you like 
something like that. He would be more the I told you so guy, not the, oh, you're dead, idiot. I'm not dead because I'm better than you and everyone else here. Right. They go through a tunnel. Uh, it goes dark and the guy's dead. And then a, a bunch of people show up. It's like, well, Dante is the only one who could have killed him. Like the train conductor shows up and the guy, you know, and stuff like they're all like, yeah, I am the only one who killed him unless there was a demon. And then he murders the demon off screen. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like a little like, uh, parlor scene from the end of a detective novel, except it's him to say, also, there was a demon here. Step aside, Poirot. <laughs> like, Patty's surprisingly smart about it. Seems to know about demons. It's like, so you, that was like a demon that you killed, right? <laughs> Dante's like, nah, don't worry about it. <laughs> and he goes back to sleep. Uh, he, he sleeps a lot this episode, and he keeps telling Patty to go to sleep instead. So at this point, I thought he was just trying to, like, give her a hint to go to sleep. Such as I'm trying to talk to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but he's going to keep going no- to sleep. For the rest of the series, this is another thing that's new to this story that's not from the game. He's a real sleepy boy. <laughs> so, Penny has Penny sort of talks about her mom and the fact that uh, she doesn't believe that her mom's dead, but happens to have disappeared, but just hasn't had contact with her since uh, Patty's been an orphan basically her whole life. And uh, at one point, while Dante and Patty check into a hotel. Uh, halfway through their trip to this this mansion, uh, Patty thinks that she recognizes her mom in this like this opera poster for a uh, for a like a rundown sort of like opera house in the area. And in the middle of the night, she hears this opera and runs off to go meet her mom in this in this opera house. Dante follows behind, uh, learning that <laughs> the poster was a demon that was set up <laughs> to trick Patty. And that the the person owning the hotel is a demon named Sid, Sid the Demon, who <laughs> yep. um, <laughs> yep, 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 <laughs> just like the least threatening demon name. There are a lot of demon names in this show, and this one's named Sid. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't take that personally, by the way. Okay, I'm not don't a worry. demon for. <laughs> So, um, Sid has Dante at gunpoint, and then just, like, immediately gives up, because Dante's like, that's not gonna kill me. He's like, you're right. <laughs> I don't know why I even tried. Also, we learned that Dante is, like, a, is, like, super hardcore, because he says things like douchebag. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing that threw me off, is that, yeah, that's Ruben Langdon's voice playing Dante, but he's <laughs> swearing, like, a fair bit. He doesn't swear in the games, really, which is weird, because those have, like, M ratings. There are like swears at later points, and maybe he does like once or twice, but not nearly this often. <laughs> it's it was really weird to hear him deliver lines like "You give me shit jobs," <laughs> or at the beginning when he's in the bar and he's like, "Smells like shit," or more yeah. like <laughs> blood. <laughs> <laughs> but so um, Dante shows up as Patty goes to meet. Her mom, who is secretly a demon, and this is actually kind of a cool, like, set piece sort of thing. Is like Dante sort of like knocks this demon away, and the the, the bunch of like um, backdrops from the, this opera fall down and divide Patty and Dante and the demons. And Dante's like, uh, "This is some adult only stuff. You shouldn't be able to see this." Mm-hmm. And so has the kind of cool like silhouette fight with all of the demons. Yeah, every time he fires his guns, you can see him in silhouette. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of cool. Yeah, I'll give it that. 
then we uh we cut to the the Lowell mansion where we find out that the real Patty Lowell is an adult woman and the the and the Patty Lowell who is the orphan child was a plant so that uh she would not get any attention as she made her way to the uh the mansion so basically she set up this child to die so that she can get her inheritance mm-hmm. but it's okay because one of the brothers was a demon and he decides to just murder everyone else in this house for no reason <laughs> Like, one of the ones is just like, I'm not letting anyone turn out alive. And so he becomes a demon, and he eats the other two brothers, and is gonna fight uh, Patty. And then Dante shows up and just, like, shoots a million bullets into him until he explodes. Yeah, Dante's got a, that fancy sword of his and his two guns, but he'll mostly use his guns in the fight scenes. In the he sort of, like, he shoves the, the sword into the demon man's, like, abdomen. To, like, keep him in place, I guess, and then shoots him with the guns. <laughs> and I think the rapport between um, Dante and Patty is kind of cute, even starting from here, because there's a bit where uh, where Patty tells Dante, like, I saw that all that adult-only stuff that you did that time. <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of cute. And then so, um, adult Patty Lowell sort of, like, wants to give compensation for all the trauma that befell uh, child Patty Lowell. And it comes in the form of just, like, buying her, like, a crazy amount of stuff that all goes up in the Devil May Cry, like, office. Yeah. Also, when Dante uh, finishes the demon off, he says, bingo? Which, (laughs) that's the writer's name. Yeah. Yeah, his phrase is jackpot. So he says at the end of one and three. (laughs) So I assume that that's, like, is that, like, maybe that was a, a mistranslation? Well, no. Well, it can't be a mistranslation because he says it. In, well, in the yeah, in the Japanese dub, he also says. Like, oh, he also yeah. says bingo. Yeah. Okay. Well, like shout don't out. Know hey, what's going on there? Yeah, I wrote this, guys. <laughs> and so that sort of sets up the main plot, I guess, because Patty will become important later, and she constantly comes back, despite the fact that she still lives at the orphanage. Now she just comes over to the Devil May Cry just to like abuse Dante. <laughs> Yeah, and also because she can't stand to see it messy, so she cleans it up anyway. Right. Um, so, we'll probably go through these a little faster, because, like... How appropriate. <laughs> well, because, int- like, the characters go faster, but also, like, the plots, for the most part, are pretty simple. So, um, this first one is sort of about, like, a group of motorcycle hooligans who end up, like, racing against demons that mm-hmm. end up killing them. Yeah. And so that's sort of that whole thing. Um, and we learn about the first of Dante's partners? Yeah. Uh, who goes by the name of Lady. Yeah, she was introduced in Devil May Cry 3. She's tied into the, the plot of that game, like to the villain and such. Uh, okay. And doesn't go by her birth name, so Dante just says, like, whatever Lady to her at one point, and she takes on the name because of that. <laughs> and just sticks with it. Yeah. I think, is Lady just, like, human? Yeah, she's human. Okay, she's she human. She has the uh, blood of a shrine maiden that was used to seal the demon world. But that that's not really described as having anything to do with her abilities. She's just really good at shooting guns and killing oh, well, demons. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> okay. Sure, I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, it's a part in uh, Devil May Cry 3, at the, like, near the end where she gets stabbed in the leg with, like, a giant blade. And, like, oh, that's going to screw her up because she's human. But she stands up, like... 
within like the next few minutes. <laughs> no problem. It's just one of those kind of kind of stories. Mm-hmm. So basically, the plot of this is like Lady shows up with a job and knows that Dante is sort of the one who's better prepared for this. I guess because he's like supposed to be like a cool motorcycle dude. I, I think that's the implication here is that he's very good at motorcycles. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't under the impression that he was better at motorcycles than Lady, though. Because he, so he basically like starts a fight. Uh, him and Lady start like a fight with this this biker gang to to like force them into a race so that they can draw out this this racing demon who's been killing people in their gang named Red Eye. And so, like Red Eye seems to like hypnotize people into racing against him and then killing them. And it turns out that Red Eye is actually a demon motorcycle, not like <laughs> the person on the motorcycle. The actual motorcycle is a demon. And uh, yeah, Dante stabs his sword through it and then shoots it with his gun a lot and kills it. <laughs> he parries the motorcycle. It's kind of dope. <laughs> yeah, it's just so quick. Yeah, and then he makes like a, a one-liner about uh, going over the speed limit. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Lady mentions that she tricked Dante into this job because she knew she wasn't strong enough to take on this demon, which I, I, I don't I know. This is supposed to just be like a BS side plot demon. Right, and so it seems like Lady or Dante has a debt to Lady, so this pay... So he doesn't get paid for this job, which is also a common theme, is he doesn't actually get paid. He just continues to pay off debts that he owes to literally everyone in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and for the pizza watch this episode, he orders a basil and spicy salami pizza with no olives. <laughs> to which Patty gets very concerned about Dante's diet, because it seems like all he does is eat pizza. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that half-demon nature. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess we didn't really establish that up front, but yeah, canonically, Dante is the son of the demon Sparta, who betrayed the demons a long, long time ago to saved the human world from the demons and separated them and he fell in love with a human woman named Ava, Dante's mother, who was murdered when they were uh when Dante and Virgil were very young, uh, Sparta disappeared. Uh and by uh, Devil May Cry one, the villain of that game is revealed to have been the one responsible for his mother's death, so that's all I've been taken care of, but there's still no word on what ever happened to Sparta. And uh you said uh, Virgil real quick, in case we didn't say that, Virgil is Dante's brother? Yes, his brother. Yeah, Dun- uh, Virgil is actually, like, secretly revealed to be the identity of a villain in Devil May Cry 1 before, like, you knew anything else about him. So then it's revealed, oh, Dante had a brother, and that guy somehow turned into this person, but Dante lost track of him. And Devil May Cry 3 shows how Virgil and Dante got separated, pretty much. So he's dead, and that's why he's not in this anime, I yeah. assume. Or okay. is he? Oh my god. <laughs> so, this is basically just a Fast and Furious plot. So, like, it's, like, charming, I guess, but, like, it's it's pretty, it falls pretty flat, I feel like. Like, it just happens, and, like, there's just not a lot of time for it to, like, build up in any significant way. Yeah, Dante, like, he's supposed to have, like, I guess, banter with other characters, but... Especially if it's not one of the main characters, if it's just like a side plot character, instead of being kind of a prankster, he's just kind of a dick to everyone. Right. He's just sort of an asshole. Yeah, instead of like, 
have some kind of like bet about how fast he can go or like, hey, are you asleep or something? It's just like, wow, you're not very good at riding that motorcycle. <laughs> Why don't you drive faster? Uh, and also we learned that Lady has a bazooka that's like twice her size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot bigger And it has, like, a giant combat knife taped to it. It's really cool. Yeah, it's supposed to be a grappling hook also. I don't know why they don't work that into anything. Yeah, they don't grapple anything in this show. Uh, So that was episode two, Highway Star. And then episode three, Not Love, is, like... So we have... (laughs) We have this woman, Angelina, who is the... Who is the daughter of the mayor of wherever they live. Mm -hmm. Um, Does Devil May Cry have a setting? Not really. Like, pretty much every city in it is fictional. It's just as the plot demands. Okay, so the mayor of this city, and she is, like, uh, she's sneaking out lately to to meet a a boy named Bradley, and uh, her dad does not support this because ever since Bradley showed up, apparently there have been a lot of supernatural murders happening in this town. Mm -hmm. And so Dante's job is he's hired by the mayor of this city. I, oh, they right. They say it's Capulet City, which, like, all right. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> okay. I wonder if there's a star-crossed lover here. They, they don't play into that either. They don't, like... <laughs> yeah, whatever. it's, like, vaguely the same thing without any they of the other... They put the reference there for you, and they don't build on it at all. <laughs> so... Dante sort of, like, gets this job, and more or less he basically takes this time to sort of, like, scope out Brad. He's not trying to kill him yet. He's trying to figure out if Brad is the reason that all of these supernatural serial killer murders are happening. Yeah. Also, when when Brad is first introduced, he magically heals uh, Angelina's wound on her leg. A sprain. And I think magically produces some flowers in front of her dad, which is why he's, like, really concerned about this guy possibly being the magic demon killer. Yeah. Um, Dante and Morrison are really bad at tailing this guy. They're in a car right behind him on an empty street. (laughs) But they hang out at a bar. They just kind of chat and sort of like try to, you know, Dante's trying to get information. He's really bad at it. Basically, he goes like, what you up to? And then Brad goes, bye. And so like... (laughs) And he also orders a pizza, and the pizza this episode is, quote, anything you have minus olives. (laughs) And then as Brad's leaving, his pizza comes up, and it's got olives on it. And when he points that out, the the guy at the bar goes, of course there are olives on it. Like, fuck you, guy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this isn't a a thing on every pizza, you asshole. (laughs) Ugh. But uh, as it turns out, there's a demon hidden in Brad's shadow, and it turns out that Brad is... A harbinger of his demon master who's trying to come through to the human world. But because, like, Brad, you know, Brad realizes that, uh, you know, he, his master's gotten too greedy. So, you know, for the sake of his love and for the humans who he's learned to love, he asked Dante to murder his, his, uh, his master. Mm-hmm. Uh, Belphegor the demon. While this is happening, um, Angelina's father is murdered by his butler to summon the demon Belphegor, and as soon as he's popping out of the portal, Dante comes in and shoves him back through with his sword. (laughs) And that's that. (laughs) Brad saves the mayor, despite his racism against demons. Dante leaves, technically having failed his job, and so he doesn't get paid. (laughs) 
And I realized at the end of the episode that they are Brad and Angelina are the lovers. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and I don't remember when that started, so I don't know how timely that is. 2007 is enough in the past that I just, it just all blends together. Right, that I assume that's what was happening. Memes were not yet as rapid fire as they are today, so that joke probably lasted into 2007 if it had ended, even two years Right, for sure. And this is the first time Dante, like, emotes at all about, like, feeling good about something he's done. Yeah. And then uh, Patty busts his balls for it. It's really cool. (laughs) Um, So then we have episode four, which is uh, Rolling Thunder, which is... uh, (laughs) This is the introduction of Trish, who is the second partner of Dante's. Yeah. Who is a full demon, right? Yeah, she was introduced in Devil May Cry 1. She comes to the office to give Dante a job after, like, ramming a motorcycle into him and throwing his sword through his chest. Uh, he, he's fine. Common thread. She she sub- shoves a motorcycle into a lot of things in this show, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it turns out that she was created by the demon that killed Dante's mother, uh, to look like Dante, to bring him to the island that DMC1 takes place on as a trap. Uh, but she eventually okay. comes to experience emotions and realize that devils never cry. And so in the credits of that game, the Devil May Cry is renamed to Devil Never Cry. But they realize that sucks, <laughs> so in everything else, it's called Devil May Cry again. <laughs> oh my god, that's so cool! <laughs> Okay, so uh, this episode opens with a demon dog chasing down a a regular man, and what happens is, well, Lady pops up and shoves her motorcycle into this dog's face. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's up, it's up on its two legs, and this motorcycle is up on its back wheel, and it's just ripping into this demon's face. Um, the 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 electric guitars are really bad; they're very clearly midis, and uh, (laughs) Trish pops up, and so. Lady appears to be working for a local church to annihilate Trish, because they're scared of Trish because Trish is a demon. Yeah, and they say she's commanding the Legion of Demons, and Lady does not have any idea who Trish is. Right, and Trish has, like, lightning powers, so it's like, oh, she's scary. And so Trish and Lady have this big fight. It doesn't really go anywhere. Um, Eventually, Trish is able to kind of, like, one-up Lady and run away. So it turns out that it goes, lightning is better than bullets, but not better than grenades. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, that's kind of like the, it's, it's kind of like Fire Emblem, you know? They got the, <laughs> they got the weapon triangle. So, um, Lady drops by Dante to ask about Trish, but he sort of like feigns ignorance. He clearly knows, like, he's just an asshole. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also, probably he's protecting himself, right? Like, yeah, it is a little weird, though, because it kind of seems at first like he is also confused, like, blonde hair. The power of lightning. Hmm. It's like, well, I feel like that's not quite what you want to go for if he's feigning ignorance instead of just like, do you not remember the person from Devil May Cry 1? <laughs> right. Uh, then we find out that uh, over this time, so Dante constantly loses bets in this show, and by episode 4, even Patty is sort of like swindling him by playing poker and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is the first point I noticed that the newspapers all have headlines, and from episode to episode, they're the exact same. And it's about a guy getting murdered by the police, which... Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, very poignant for Maybe they are different headlines. <laughs> oh, no. 
also the first time I started taking note of Dante's all the magazines he want he reads. I'm pretty sure this is a real magazine just called Style Magazine. Mm-hmm. Because that's just a photo of a real woman on the cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the games, I think he's mostly reading, like, cool action magazines, like Twin Handgun. Right, he's reading one that's called Two Handguns in the screenshot you keep sending me. <laughs> Which is cool as hell. And this one, he's just he just reads whatever. It's kind of like as if um, his office is also like like a hair salon or like a dentistry where they just have whatever magazines for mm-hmm. free. But anyways, uh, Dante won't sell Trish out. And meanwhile, Lady the, buys a new bazooka with a knife on it. No, I think it's the same. I think she just gets it like tuned up or something. Oh, maybe. And then uh, here's the thing that's a little weird is that <sighs> Lady just keeps calling Trish a demon bitch throughout the entire episode. Yeah. Oh, and that's that seems like a liberty taken with the the translation because she says Akuma, which just means demon. Otherwise, the character <laughs> right. from Street Fighter Two's name would be Demon Bitch. That would be cool. But- <laughs> Um, okay, so anyways, uh, Lady and Trish fight as she's walking out of this gun store. Uh, Lady's clothes get trashed, so she goes to buy new ones, but Trish is also buying new clothes. And they won't fight there, but they're both, like, fronting really hard in front of each other. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a weird sort of, like, power play of them buying more clothes than the other. Yeah, also Lady does a a fair bit of shopping in this show when she shows up, which I think is also something they made up for this, because... I, I was under the impression that she mostly just wears, like, the same clothes all the time and just buys lots of guns because she keeps destroying them by using them too hard. Mm-hmm. And Trish shops a lot, too. It's women be shopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can imagine her doing it, but also, yeah, this show is pretty women be shopping. <laughs> so, um... Lady talks to the priest about, like, I don't think Trish is really that evil. She's just, like, buying clothes like a normal person, but this priest is sure. <laughs> Trish pops up for a fight in this church. Um, Dante shows up, throws his sword through a pew to get them to stop, and then they basically just talk out their issues. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, Lady realizes that Trish and Dante know each other. We learn about, you know, Trish's backstory a little bit. more, Mostly that... Dante and Trish work together, or used to, at least. Yeah, there's not really any hint of, like, between whenever they met and them showing up again, like, what happened? But I don't know, I thought that was just one of those background things, like, okay, Lady met Dante in DMC3, and then she did other things for a while, and then showed up again in DMC4. Right, this is, like, one good bit of character thing, because it's like, even if you don't, if you, like, I'm coming into this not knowing... It's, like, okay that, like, they're just like, oh, they used to work together, and I sort of know these characters. It's like, oh, sure. Yeah. You know, it doesn't feel like it needs to over-explain itself, and it doesn't assume too much about what I know. Yeah. Also, Trish knows who Lady is. And has known the whole time. <laughs> right. Uh, Trish and Dante bicker like a bad couple until it turns out the priest was the villain all along, and he's a demon. <laughs> who just wants to get rid of this demon who's been... So... The priest is a demon who brought in all these other demons, and Trish is killing his demon, so he's mad. <laughs> and here's the worst thing in the episode, is Dante refers to this this demon man with horns as a horny little devil, and I don't like that. <laughs> Not one bit. He seems to be based on some kind of, like, pagan deity, because he has, like, wings and everything coming out, and he's got a whole thing. 
but it doesn't matter because all three of them just like shoot him at once and he explodes. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, we learn that Lady and uh, Lady and Trish sort of racking up his debt even more have put they have put their purchases on Dante's tab for all the clothes they bought, and then so did Patty. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> poor Dante. Uh, and while the pizza watch does not give us a specific order this episode, we do know that he ate three pizzas this episode. <laughs> they weren't as fancy. <laughs> so episode five is the first time Dante actually gets to eat a strawberry sundae instead of going into a bar and asking about it. Uh, episode five is in private, which is sort of like Dante's redemption because he's not the worst person in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they purposely found wrote a character who is specifically worse. Right, he's like he's the epic takedown of nice guy culture that they needed in this show. <laughs> so um, Dante's eating a strawberry sundae at his favorite diner, and so there's some trouble going down because uh, two people there's there's Cindy who works at the diner, and there's Isaac who's a guy who seems to be smitten with her, and Isaac just can't take a hint that Cindy isn't interested in him, and she specifically says she's interested in someone who's more like Dante. And so he's, instead of trying to better himself, he tries to figure out what Dante's deal is. Yeah, find reasons why he's not so great after all. Let's talk about Isaac for a second. He's the most powerful V-cut shirt in all of history. Because <laughs> the cut goes down to underneath where he would tuck it into his pants. Yeah, is it really? Do you think it's maybe just like an open shirt that he tucked in? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Like... <laughs> I don't know, but it's, like, very clearly he has the V going down to at least his crotch. It's wild. <laughs> so, uh, he f- so Isaac follows Dante to the Renaissance dance bar, and Dante knocks a man out, steals his woman, and then they go into the women's restroom where Dante murders her because she's a demon. <laughs> and, uh, and Isaac follows in just to see what happened, because he's like, oh, wow, some crazy, freaky shit must have gone on. Dante is some kind of crazy sex pervert. <laughs> but it turns out that her body's gone, because it's disintegrated, because she's a demon. And then he's caught in the women's restroom, uh, and they assume that he is a sex pervert. Yeah, and gets thrown out of the bar by, I think, the only black person in the entire show. Yep, that sounds about right. So um, he gets destroyed, he's beat up, and he goes back to Cindy to tell... To tell her that Dante is not good because, not that he's a possible murderer from all the gunshots, but that he's a pervert. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, has sex with the women. <laughs> like, uh, Cindy doesn't care, so Isaac continues to follow him. Uh, Isaac is scared off by Patty when he tries to sneak into Don- the-, the Devil May Cry. Yeah, uh, she keeps chasing him for a little bit, but... Right. Then he stumbles on Dante and Morrison at a bar doing a deal for a job where um, he gets like a big stack of cash and then he follows him to the harbor where Dante murders like an entire demon mafia. Mm-hmm. And Isaac tries to go like, oh, that guy's crazy. He just murdered a bunch of people in the docks and Cindy doesn't care. No, yeah. one, no one cares about poor Isaac. Yeah. Also, like saying that he stood up to the mafia is not really going to undersell someone. <laughs> Right. Oh, wow. No, he's very cool. <laughs> They're very, like, 1920s mafia, too. Like, I know Dominic Cry kind of has a mishmash, but, like, you know the mafia <laughs> still exists, right? <laughs> so, um, Isaac then 
is able to sneak into Devil May Cry to get some dirt, and a bunch of demons start talking to him like, hey, you want to get back at Dante? Well, then just, like, absorb my soul. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that Sid from episode one, the demon, shows up to give uh, Isaac this, like, jewelry box. And he's like, this will reveal everything about Dante that you need to know. And it's like a bell. Some kind of demon bell. Lady shows up to get the payback from Dante in order not to get caught. Isaac jumps out the window and breaks his leg. And no one feels bad for him. (laughs) (laughs) Then just sort of like Isaac eventually like kind of gives up realizing that Dante is like too much of a badass. And like decides to run away. (laughs) <laughs> uh, f- from town he's like there's no way that I could I could do this he's like oh I can't be here with Dante I'm sorry I can't protect you Cindy and it turns out that from the start like what we would have expected Cindy just doesn't want someone to be so clingy yeah so it's like I want to chase after you instead of you being so into me which like sure whatever but Isaac's had the wrong idea this whole time and on his way out of town he runs into Dante, who's, like, beat him to the punch, as it were, and uh, finds this the, the bell that they had, which is a demon summoning bell. And then he just murders a bunch of demons right in front of Isaac. <laughs> yep. And then they kind of have a heart-to-heart. Like, Dante's, like, surprisingly, like, nice to Isaac about all this. Like, hey, if you really care about this girl, go back and maybe try to actually understand her. Yeah. Do better. <laughs> Right, and so, like, you know, that's alright, and that's sort of the end of the episode. And then they eat Sundays together. Yeah, yeah, Isaac also orders a strawberry sundae on his path to be more <laughs> like Dante. <laughs> right. And then one weird thing about this episode is that very much there is just a real cover of a magazine in this episode. It's of New York Magazine from when the Strokes were getting big, <laughs> like, for their first album, which is wild. Also, that came out in 2006, so maybe a little dated, so again... Kind of like he's works at like a dentistry or something where he's got old <laughs> magazines to read. Then we have episode six, which is Rock Queen, which is like maybe the first attempted emotional resonance in this entire thing. Yeah, it points for effort, but anti points for another like just throw a demon at it. It would have needed like another like half an episode to really hit. Yeah. So this is also like a weird like in- insert song that they do, which is like this this kind of like rock and roll thing with a with a female uh, singer. It's kind of cool, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty pretty decent rock song. Yeah. So um, Dante gets really mad at his work and breaks his jukebox for no reason, basically. And he we we kind of learned that he has like a big affinity for one of the records that was in the jukebox, but it got damaged. And so he d- and he doesn't know the song or the artist, which will come up later. And it turns out that his job this week is to uh, go with a bunch of people to uh, like an old record company that was on fire, so that they can like excavate um, old records and like you know try to find like antiques, something that's worth something. Yeah. So Dante's just like escorting and being a bodyguard for these treasure hunters. And while he's there, uh, he learns that uh, the the person in charge of this this treasure hunt uh, has the record that Dante's really into by the um, legendary rock queen, Elena Houston, 
then we find out that the, there's a demon who lives in this um in this record uh, company that like started the fire and it turns out to be Elida, who also commands a bunch of demon lizards who can shoot giant lasers out of their mouth. <laughs> There's some good shots of Dante sort of like posing amidst a bunch of lizard guts as he murders them. Yeah, this is actually like you see some of these lizard things jump on the faces of the people like es- excavating, but he actually shoots them off of the guy's faces instead of just letting them get killed. Right. He's doing pretty all right this episode. <laughs> And we learn that the the guy who's in charge of this treasure hunt, his name is Tim, they tell us that at the very end of the episode, uh, has history with Elena, who is the the demon that was attacking them, and talk about Elena's rise to stardom and how he was a part of it. He sort of acted as her agent, and eventually Elena accidentally says out loud, right, that she wants to capture people with her song, and some demon nearby decides that the way that they're going to interpret it is basically she acts as, like, a siren. Yeah. And so anyone who listens to her song becomes, like, crazy obsessive and starts, like, they start murdering each other for tickets and records. Mm-hmm. And so um, she, it turns out she accidentally entered this deal with a demon. She now has to share her body with the demon, and the demon takes over, and that's sort of, like, where we are now. So... Dante and Tim work together to draw Elena out using her old records, since she seems to only respond to those, recognizing them as her song. And uh, Dante is able to separate the demon from Elena and save her. Yeah. Also, like the, um, the reason why that song attracts her still is because that record is one she wrote before she got possessed. So right. it's like her song, not the demon's song. Right, it's truly Elena's song. Tim and Elena sort of have like a, a pr- like a decently heartfelt talk about sort of like the the way that they sort of like distanced from each other over this whole like siren thing and as Elena got more popular. It's like kinda charming. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was pretty nice. They they end up having a happy ending, which is nice. And that's just sort of it. And then like uh Dante gets a copy of the record that he can play with his new jukebox. It's kind of cute. Yeah. Also, I gotta say, it's, um, considering that anytime the jukebox is, like, canonically present in the Devil May Cry games, uh, it, since that's the case, I, it means that Dante listens to the music that's in Devil May Cry games, which is butt rock. <laughs> which this is <laughs> that. Not- <laughs> There's a lot of ass metal in this show, though. <laughs> It's up there, but it lacks the sort of, like, hard vocals about demons and the, like, techno sound. Like, it doesn't sound like Rob Zombie or something. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, a lot of the background music is still sort of that, like, (laughs) shitty metal kind of thing going on. (laughs) Then we have episode seven, Wishes Come True, which is, like, (laughs) it has two really good conceits that it can't quite pay off on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one is this guy at the beginning is fishing and he catches a fish, but the fish is caught in this like weird stone mask. Uh, the stone mask devours the fish and becomes like a, a, a weird like ghost demon kind of thing. It's like a slime phantasm. Yeah. 
and it says that it can grant any wish that it, they want. And that's that's the first conceit. <clears throat> uh, anyways, then we jump back to Dante, who's getting swindled in cards by Patty. He owes her ten ice cream cones now, and she wants payout for all of them. Yeah, he says, oh, you should just have one a month. It'll be healthier. Right. Yeah, Dante's being a reason, uh, like a responsible adult and being like, if you eat all ten, you're going to get sick. And she's like, nope. But he gets a new job which comes from uh, the sister of the man from the beginning who asks Dante to break him out of jail because he was arrested on false charges. And apparently the, the man uh, from, the, from the first bit killed uh, his best friend and Dante decides not to take the job, right? Because like, I don't want to save a criminal. That's too much, you know, <laughs> that's too much of an issue on my end. But she pays him anyways, and she's like, well, shit, I guess I gotta do the job. So he does a little bit of investigation ahead of time, and he walks into the bar where this best friend got murdered, and starts to ask about the, the situation. Uh, he also asks for a strawberry sundae, because of course. Yeah, and with the bartender's a little dicey about giving information, so Dante promises him a secret that'll get people coming to his bar. They'll be out the door. But first needs information. <laughs> right, because the bar has no customers because as it turns out a murder happened here. So we have Carrie, who is the, the guy from the beginning of the episode who met the ghost demon who makes wishes. And we have Claude, who's his best friend. So Carrie lost a bet with Claude over a darts game at this bar. And then at some point, Carrie is like, uh, I go to hell, Claude, if you won't play another game with me. And then Claude melts on the spot. <laughs> Just melts into nothingness. Yeah, the bartender comes back out just as his friend is melting. Right. So, and it turns out that Carrie went to a place called Devil's Prison, which is noted as worse than hell. <laughs> and then as Dante leaves, he's like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to get into this prison. Uh, Dante says, or the, the guy, the bartender says, hey, so what's your, what's your trick for getting people back in the bar? And Dante says, serve strawberry sundaes. <laughs> Fuck off, dude. Yeah. Also, Morrison shows up and tells him not to go to Devil's Prison. Right, because it's worse than hell. So he starts a fight with a, a, a group of, like, delinquents who show up at the bar just so he can get arrested and taken Devil's Prison. Yeah, it's a little weird that the small, like, seaside, like, fishing hamlets, only, like, local prison is the Supermax. <laughs> right, the, the most amazing prison that no one could ever break out of maximum security. Uh, Dante meets the, 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 Dante meets the warden, who makes a, an awful prison rape joke. And so Dante is thrown into a cell next to Carrie, and we learn about what really happened. Because Carrie still says that it's all his fault that Claude died. We learn that the, the, the demon ghost slime from the beginning will not grant wishes such as give me money, give me power, or help me find a girlfriend, right? So, not really helping out. It's always like, you don't deserve this, or this wouldn't help you anyways, is sort of like his excuse for not granting mm -hmm. any of these wishes. And so... What he does is he waits for Carrie to go like, ah, go to hell, Claude. And he's like, your wish is granted. And he spits acid <laughs> at Claude and murders him. So it's like, oh, misinterpret something as a wish just to justify his thing. So um, 
Dante decides to help him escape so they can figure out this whole thing. And uh, as Dante is doing this, all of the doors to the cells in this jail open, and it turns into uh, what can only be described as the most dangerous game, but with demons. <laughs> so, like, the, um, the, the prison staff is going to chase around all of these people and murder them, and it turns out they're demons, because of course they are. Meanwhile, uh, we cut away right as Dante's about to fight a bunch of demons, because we can't, we can't have that kind of payoff. Mm-hmm. And we see that Lady runs into the, the wish demon, and that none of her wishes are going to grant it either, so she's about to shoot it with a bazooka. And then we cut away again, because again, we can't have any payoff. Uh, Dante has already kicked all of the demon ass, and put them in jail. And then he tricks them into letting him out, because he leaves them with all the keys, and he's like, but you can't get out of jail now, and they're like, ha, we will get out of jail, and then Dante just follows them, and is like, ha! Now I'm out of jail, he murders them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they use skeleton keys to activate, like, a high-tech computer lock. <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, Lady and Dante share stories at the bar from before, which seems to have people there, so I guess it's okay. Um, Dante cheats at cards, and Lady says, go to hell, and then the demon shows up, and he's like, alright, well, I'll spit acid at you. <laughs> <laughs> and what- here's the good conceit, is this demon pretends to be able- to grant wishes, but really all it can do is spit acid. <laughs> and so it just look it's just looking for an excuse to spit acid at people indiscriminately. It's just his gimmick, yeah. That's <laughs> just like his thing. Then a bar fight happens between Dante and this demon. Sid pops up again just to like steal the demon mask and run away after Dante's killed the demon. And I don't know, Dante and Patty have some good rapport at the end. Yeah. <laughs> no pizza or Sundays for Dante. <laughs> Yeah, I was thrown by the existence of this prison at all in this world. Like, Dante, like, are you just gonna, you just gonna let it slide that this place exists? Yeah, it's a human prison run entirely by demons who just slaughter all the prisoners for sport. Not, not my problem. I mean, he had to travel pretty far for us, so maybe he didn't know. I guess. But, but it's dumb. It's dumb anyway. Yeah. So here, so here, so this is, well, again, we'll bring it up. This is some missed opportunity. They mostly get it with this mass demon who pretends to be able to make wishes and just spits acid. Funny, funny premise. Mm-hmm. The second one is the idea of the most dangerous game, but with demons. And they just, no payoff on that at all. First of all, because it starts out with a really bad prison rape joke from the, from the warden. And second, because we don't get any of the action. Yeah, it does a lot of those cutaways, actually, of Dante jumps at the camera, and then we just see something else happen, and then he's done it. <laughs> the, the very right. inverse of character action. <laughs> so then we have episode eight, Once Upon a Time, which is sort of like the biggest, I think, tie-in with the novels and stuff, and sort of like tries to develop more about Dante's like tragic life before he was Dante the Demon Slayer. Um, two big notes I want to make up up front. Today's magazine he reads is Casino Maniacs. And second of all, uh, this is the first time that we see like a really like focused sort of like parody product placement. And it's Budweiser, but they they've <laughs> they've spelled it as Budweiner. <laughs> <laughs> They're so drinking good. Budweiner beer. I don't think this is the first one, because I think there was an earlier episode where Dante was reading Willboard magazine. 
<laughs> oh, no, you're right. He did read Willboard magazine earlier. You're right. Okay. The Willboard Top 40. Bud yeah. Wiener beer. Well, Bud Weiner probably, but still. Yeah. So someone shows up at the Devil May Cry and calls Dante Anthony and goes on about, like, Dante, like, clearing Dante and his mother's name. And we don't really get to know a lot about that. Yeah, specifically Tony is what he keeps calling. Right, he calls him Tony. Uh, this guy's named Tim. And it seems like Tim comes from a town where a fire sort of, like, just raised his entire um, his t- entire town and was done by a demon. Uh, and everyone there blames uh, Tony's mother for the fire, and also a demon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. so I guess at some point Tony and his mom leave this town, and this guy, Tim, specifically knows that he's looking for Tony the Demon Hunter, or Anthony the Demon Hunter. So, like, here we get sort of, like, the connection, because if I remember correctly, Dante originally went by Tony Redgrave. Yeah, I think in the novels it's an alias that he used because uh, you can't live in the human world with just one name. <laughs> um, but yeah, also his uh, guns say for Tony Redgrave on them. Right, so sometime before this series started, he was going by Tony Redgrave and got his cool guns. Um, so Dante follows Tim to the town to kill the demon. Um, Sid's there for some reason, and yeah, so like, basically, the the plan here is to summon a demon to prove that this demon was the cause of the fire, so that um, Dante and his mother go scot-free, like, 20 years after the fact. Yeah, well after his mother's death. This guy has been obsessed with this for years. Yeah, it's like, Tony's the coolest guy. Uh, oh, sorry, this guy's name's Ernest. I think they changed that partway through. It's, they, they're really bad about just naming these characters when we meet them, so I have to catch it from later dialogue. Uh, you watch the dub, right? Yeah. I feel like that might just be a dub problem, then, because I think, yeah, I for, I'd forgotten his name, but I think it's pretty consistently Ernest in at least the sub Okay, because, yeah, they, they, until we meet his wife, Elise, we don't learn that his name is Ernest. Yeah, spelled not like Ernest, like... The name Ernest, but Ernest like the character trait. Right. And so his wife is pretty concerned about Ernest being so obsessed with this whole like fire thing. And yeah, so it, basically it comes down to uh, <laughs> Ernest, like against the wishes of basically everyone he knows, goes to um, summon and fight the demon, like on his own. He, he yeah. leaves without Dante and he does it. Dante shows up to stop him. Um, the demon at some point points out that Dante is half demon and that's why his blood's so delicious or something. Yeah, he says he'll get the power of a half human, half demon, which I don't think was like a conceit ever presented before that like that makes him like thematically it's supposed to be that his human half is what gives him strength because of feelings, etc. <laughs> Right, like mm-hmm. the power of the human heart, all like that trope. Not literally, you are so strong because you are the specific like ideal crossbreed. Right, and then while Ernest there, he's like, "Oh, this demon set everything afire because he was after Dante's blood," and decides that 
therefore Tony is the cause of the fire, and therefore he hates Tony, and he'll never care about him ever again. <laughs> Despite the fact that Dante killed the demon and saved Ernest, because otherwise Ernest would have been devoured by a demon. Yeah. It feels like it's supposed to have this kind of art. It's like, oh, he's really obsessed with them, but now he hates them, and isn't it so sad? But Dante, like, constantly denies he's Tony the whole time, and- Right. To the point that other people are like, oh, you're not Tony, are you? Like, everyone's convinced he's not Tony anymore. Yeah, and they're like, just at least play, like, pretend to be Tony for his sake, you know, while you're here. And even then, he doesn't really do it. Like, he doesn't have to be like, oh, man, like, I can't remember what we used to do when we hang out or anything. Like, nothing like that at all happens. So when the guy's like, I hate you, it's not, it's not like he shared some great personal story, really, except we buried a thing, like a treasure box somewhere. Mm -hmm. And for being, like, a thing that's supposed to be tied to, like, backstory and, like, the light novels, it feels, like, really trite. Yeah, because it's pretty much, hey, did you read the light novels? Then you know that he used to go by Tony. Anyways, this episode's gonna do everything it can to not talk about that at all. Right, like- No flashbacks or anything. (laughs) It does not inform you on anything. It doesn't, like, change your perception of any of the characters. It's a real mess of an episode. It's a real clunker. Mm -hmm. But this next one, dope as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 9 is Death Poker. And so- Dante, Patty, and Morrison go on a casino cruise ride (laughs) (laughs) to chase down a gambling demon. Yes, a demon named King. Right, so Dante is at a poker table losing, uh, and Lady is the dealer, so they're working this operation. The other four people at the table, we have Goldarm Joe... Yeah, I, it was I, called that because he's said to have a golden arm. Yes, that's literally the line when ladies narrating all the people at the table. It's like, that man who just won is Gold Arm Joe, said to have a, quote, golden arm, unquote. Y- yep, I got <laughs> that from the name. Then we have Lucky Amanda, who's named such because she's lucky. <laughs> and we have Santa Claus because he has a beard and wins fat stacks all the time. Yeah, he, he wants to take home a bag of money, to which Lucky Amanda says, that's why they call you Santa Claus. Very clever. Thank you. Like, okay, all right, bingo, Morahashi, slow it down a second with the self-congratulatory dialogue. Uh, pat, pat myself on the back for that one. And then, so the reason he's really here is because Dante was given this job by uh, a, a woman who is married to a man named Paul, who has suddenly gotten this huge gambling addiction. And it, it's, it, it's very dangerous. It could lead to his death. It seems like he's getting very obsessed. And yeah, uh, Paul is really bad at poker. <laughs> like that, that's an also an issue. Yeah, he's at this high rollers table somehow. <laughs> yeah, and he is extremely bad. So uh, they they talk about this gambler named King, who supposedly steals the souls of those who lose to him. And so this big high stakes gambling thing is to try and draw him out. We find out that King sent an invitation to these people specifically with sort of like some kind of like ticket more or less like uh dante has like a a stopwatch that basically gets him in on this high rollers table it turns out that all of these characters can use magic to cheat at cards so i guess that's happening (laughs) joe loses despite cheating and immediately dies from like a heart attack at the table yeah so at first paul is suspected to be king right 
And uh, at that point, they take a break. Yeah, this like take a break, and then Santa is just like, "Hey, excuse me, could you get me a hot chocolate?" <laughs> and then uh, it, during the break, Patty makes fun of Dante for being so bad at cards and tries to take his place at the table. <laughs> And she does get a couple hands in, but Dante kind of pushes her away after he's done, like, talking to Paul's wife about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. This whole situation. Morrison, Patty, and Lady have no confidence in Dante at all outside of killing a demon man. So basically, they're just all hoping that he survives. Yeah. Long enough to figure out who King is. Yeah, well, he's kind of a, it's kind of funny because they do expect him to eventually lose because he's so bad at cards. They just want him to hang on till the end. Right. Um, Santa Claus tries to read a bluff by Lucky Amanda. They, like He's trying to read sort of her movements. It backfires and Santa immediately, he tries to walk away from the table and then dies. Yeah, he falls forward and then like a blood puddle comes out of his face. Yep. Uh, then we have sort of this anime version of sort of like a Metallica S&M song playing where it's like, it's supposed to be, well, cause it's supposed to be like the symphony on the casino thing is playing a song, but then the shitty metal guitars start popping up too. Yeah. It's a performance by the Fruity Loop Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> right? Uh, Amanda dies from losing at cards and all we have left is Paul and Dante. Both of them get a royal straight flush. But Dante has the has the higher suit, so he wins. And it turns out that Dante was possessed by the gambling demon. Mm-hmm. So he starts fighting with ladies like, I'm going to gamble with my life now. Yeah, it's like, who can shoot in the heart first? Right, and the lady shoots Dante in the heart, killing him. And then it turns out that the wife was a plant all along. She was king. Yes, like, who was king on the table? Right, she's hanging. She's just hanging out nearby to make sure they all die. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that the items with the invitation, like the tickets, were the curse, and they all had sort of like uh, a spell put on them to make them extremely lucky and extremely competitive. Yeah. So King was sort of manifesting through those at the ideal times to kill people at, when they lost. Right. Uh, Dante saved himself by using the watch as a shield, which stopped the, uh, which stopped the curse. Dante has, like, a pretty cool fight with, uh, the, with King, which ends in both of them getting cards caught in their weapon. Yeah. And, like, King's is, like, you know, King of Hearts, and then, uh, Dante, through his sword, has the Ace of Spades, and that's why he kills her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then we cut back, Patty's still the best gambler, Devil May Cry, beating out Lady and uh, Dante. And, like, again, the camaraderie between these characters is actually starting to build up in a way that's kinda nice. Like, at the start, Patty and Dante have a really annoying relationship. Yeah. But, like, while Patty and Dante still fight later on, and same with, like, Lady and Trish, it feels like their characters are building a sort of, like, they're building a rapport, you know? Yeah. Like, Patty and Dante may fight, but they, they kind of look at each other knowingly, they kind of smile as they do these dumb antics. It's, like, it's, it's, oh, like, there are episodes where it's better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's starting to get good, but there's just not a lot of time left, and, like, a lot of plots gonna happen soon, so they don't get to build anymore. <laughs> right, it doesn't quite last. So, then we have... <laughs> Episode 10, The Last Promise, 
which is the episode about daddy issues. (laughs) (laughs) So we introduce two new characters that will show up for this episode. We have the white demon, who is Lord Bowel. And we have, uh, like, I guess the black demon, Lord Modeus, and they're brothers. And um, they're in this town, more or less to fight Dante. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Baal is specifically, uh, Modeus has apparently given up the way of the sword and just wants to prevent bloodshed. Right, so Baal is there because he is way into Sparta, the demon man. Uh, Dante's father, and is mad that he did not get Sparta's strength passed to him at Sparta's death. Instead, his brother did, and his brother gave up the sword. And so Lord Bal just wants to kill Dante to sort of, like, prove himself as Sparta's apprentice, more or less. Yeah, apparently he, like, lived in the demon world alongside Sparta, and they all, like, came to an agreement to have a duel. But mm-hmm. since Sparta disappeared, that never happens. And so that's basically the whole episode is it's it's a it's a build up to Bowel fighting Dante as we sort of understand their complex relationship with Sparta and Sparta's relationship with the human world. Yeah. And uh there's a, a decent there's ambition to these fight scenes. Yeah, they, they go on for a little longer than usual and have some like they have some actual back and forth to them, though. A, a problem that kind of plagues this series up until the very end is Dante never really seems in danger. Yeah, like, it's not well-directed, but, like, yeah, like, the best thing I can say about it, there's ambition yeah. to these. Like, you can see where they're trying to capture that sort of, like, character action thing. Yeah. Also, in the meantime, uh, Patty is uh, hanging out with Modeus, and they're like, just, like, cooking stuff. Yeah, it's it's kind of cute, because, like, Modeus hangs out at the at the park a lot, just, like, thinking about sort of this whole situation, and Patty will just pop up to, like, talk to him. Yeah. And Patty spends an entire conversation just complaining uh, about Dante and how, like, undateable he is. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of cute, just like, ugh, Dante's such a slob, I hate it. No one should, would ever fall in love with him. If I were going to fall in love with someone, it would be someone way cooler. Yeah. And it's kind of cute. Yeah, so Bell and Dante have a big fight. Dante wins. And Modeus kind of like... So we learned that sort of like both of the brothers were sort of like cursed, I guess, by one particular ambition. And Bell's was to kill Dante. And Modeus's was to to help his brother. And so because his brother died, he turns to revenge, and Dante and him have a fight that ends in uh, Modeus dying. Yeah. Also, uh, in the final battle against uh, uh, Baul, like, he beats him normally, and then Baul activates his Devil Trigger ability and enters his demon form. Uh, Devil Trigger is the uh, thing that's been in the series for it. As stated, it just brings out the the demon side of whoever uses it. Uh, <laughs> and when Bible activates his devil trigger, Dante like licks his lips in a very homoerotic <laughs> fashion. That like it only took ten episodes, but finally like Dante, one of the more homoerotic characters in like action <laughs> gaming, finally does something that's kind of that's that's pretty gay. But like 
the whole rest of the show, he's just been like, there's been none of that. It's been such a letdown. And also, he juggles someone with his guns, which, yeah. I, which I, as I understand, is a popular thing in the game as well. Oh, uh, Trish does that when she's like looking around town for information. Okay. Yeah. And Dante sort of like makes gives this like a real dramatic flair to it about sort of like you know the difference between humans and demons and sort of like the pitiable existence of these two. Like I get what they're going for, but it like other episodes, there's not enough time to really build to this emotional sort of core. Yeah. And then Sid pops up again to like grave rob these two demons, and we still don't know what he's doing. Yeah, he was like trying to egg on uh, Baul earlier, but Baul didn't didn't like him very much. Also, he like grabs Sid by the collar, like just one collar though, like having his open shirt collar, and then Sid's like, "I can't breathe." Like how? <laughs> He's the most pathetic demon in the world, mm-hmm. and that only gets that only gets built up as we get into episodes eleven and twelve, where they remember there was a plot. Mm-hmm. So, episode eleven, Showtime. Opens with a lady getting hit on outside a bar, and then the guy who's hitting on her immediately gets eviscerated. (laughs) It turns out that this is Patty's mom, who's named Nina, and she has this magical amulet that seems to protect her from demons. Because after the demon eviscerates this dude, he tries to jump on uh, Nina, and basically that demon just disintegrates. Yeah. Yeah. We don't get to know what pizzas he's eating, but Dante's eating pizza again. He's got a <laughs> lot of boxes of Pizza One pizza <laughs> hanging out, and he's drinking a lot of Budweiner. So, uh, Patty complains about uh, Dante not cleaning up, and then Dante says, says something really insensitive about her not having any parents. Yeah. And <laughs> she runs away. Yeah, and the thing is, too, she's just like, like, how can he say that he doesn't have parents? Right, but also, like, fucking, (laughs) didn't your parents ever teach you to to mind your manners? Like, (laughs) Jesus, Dante, you've been with him for 12 episodes. (laughs) Also, like, he says, like, oh, just wait, you know, a couple days and everything will be cleaned up. And then he's like, that's because I clean it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they, they, again, they have good rapport. Um, Nina appears at the Devil May Cry for a job to drop off the magic pendant from before. And she says that she's being attacked for the pendant and wants someone else to take care of it for now. Meanwhile, uh, Patty, while running away, believes that she sees her mother in uh, one of the crowds and starts to follow her. And sort of a a couple things are happening at a time. First, a lady shows up to harsh Dante's buzz and like ask for money again. Uh, and she seems to know something about this pendant. Um, she's not positive what it is, but she's going to go look it up. And uh, yeah, so Nina has some kind of confidant, I guess, who like told her about Devil May Cry and that Dante can take care of this pendant. Since it seems like right now she doesn't have the power to stop like stronger demons, like the pendant can only stop lower level ones. But anyways, Dante gets attacked. He fights uh he fights a bunch of demons who question why he has the pendant and not the human woman. So clearly there's like some kind of connection that they understand. Yeah. And the stone of the pendant contains some sort of magic power. Uh Nina's confidant is named Simon. Patty 
at, as she's running around, identifies Dina as her mom, but Nina runs away um, for some reason. Yeah, like doesn't even acknowledge her. Also, uh, at one point, it looks like Simon's gonna make a grab for the pendant, uh, but he looks, but it cuts back, and Dante's still holding it. But then Simon's holding his hand behind his back, and it's like his hands all burned up. Right. So Simon's like some kind of demon man. Dante sends Trish to the library to get info on the pendant, and it turns out that uh, while Dante's on the phone with Trish, Patty steals the pendant and runs away. And at this point, uh, she uses it basically to to like get back to her her mother, right? And it turns up that um, Simon is actually or was a human. But his body got stolen by Sid, the demon, who is now looking for, I guess, the final piece in whatever ritual he's trying to set up. Because he's stolen, like, the swords from Modeus and Bowel. He stole the, the mask from that episode. He's been stealing a bunch of artifacts. Yeah. And, like, for no reason up to now, but finally we get this, this story. Now it's all connected. <laughs> yeah. Um... Simon, uh, Sid talks about how he's a loser, which is cool. Yeah, he has no powers at all. He's just a demon. Right, so he's collecting all these demon artifacts for a ritual. Patty runs in, because, you know, she knows that Nina's her mom and brings the pendant with her, and it turns out this is the final piece for the, the ritual that Sid's doing, and Sid basically threatens to kill Nina if she doesn't place the pendant in the in the ritual circle patty does it to try to save her mom um and a giant demon magic portal opens up and sid jumps in to become i think he quotes the most powerful demon king um dante shows up to follow sid along um having recognized that patty stole the pendant and sid through this whole thing has captured quote Abigail's legacy, and Abigail is this demon of immense strength that rivaled the Demon Kings. Uh, Nina claims that this is the start of the end of the world, and Dante starts a fight with Sid, and once we cut back, we find Dante crucified with his sword through his chest. Yeah. Also, I guess when they're naming the Demon King, I suppose they're referring to Mundus the Demon from Devil May Cry 1. Okay. Uh, Which is a little weird, because... He says that Abigail stood up to the Demon King, not that he beat him. <laughs> so, right. A little weird. I, like, is Abigail, like, a character that ever has popped up before? No. I don't okay, that's really weird, I feel like. Because, like, it's building up this character that we have no connection to, and we had ten episodes to have any sort of, like, reference to this character that just doesn't come. Yeah, I mean... I guess it wouldn't be, like, that much less trite to say, like, oh, they're fragments of Mundus or something, but having it just be a whole new thing, and then saying, it's a guy who didn't beat a guy you already beat canonically. (laughs) Like, okay. So, um, Sid has, like, superpowers, like, he gets shot a million times by Dante and turns into a puddle of blood, but then Sid turns into the puddle of blood and, like, crucifies Dante. Yeah, and even though Dante's been crucified on his sword many times, apparently this is this is bad. Right, this is the bad time. Uh, lady shows up just in time to exposit about the Lowell family. 
um, the ancestor of Patty and Nina Lowell, Alan Lowell is a sorcerer who employed demons. He created the pendant, and he locked a demon named Abigail away in the pendant because he could not control Abigail for being too strong. Alan makes a bunch of barriers to seal Abigail away in this stone and this pendant, which is called Alan's Tear. And because of this ritual that Sid put together, it's broken open, and Abigail has, like, appeared inside of Sid's body, uh, yeah. transforming him into a, a, a really tacky golden red demon. Yeah, yeah. a lot of the, um, the demon designs in this show are not that interesting, really. No, like, even when they're colorful, they're, like, really gaudy. Yeah, they don't really seem to have much of a, a theme about them. It's, like, Devil May Cry has a lot of demon designs, and they're not all winners, but they are, like, pretty varied. And, like, the, like, the monsters in Devil May Cry 3 also have, like, sand for blood, so they, like, turn into, like, pillars of sand when they get killed, and then they, like, blow away. Stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's, it might be difficult to do, but style is the point. Right. Yeah. Also, we're in episode 12 at this point, because the right. last episode, oh, right. instead of cutting to the very weirdly morose rock song that was in the credits for all the previous episodes, uh, is just, like, atmospheric noise and stuff as it pans around Dante before revealing that he was crucified, which is not bad. <laughs> we'll say it's not and bad. Episode 12 is called Stylish, which is pretty good. That's the that's the S rank in, in Devil May Cry, right? Yeah. In, uh, in Devil May Cry 1, I think that's as high as it went. Uh, Later, as they added more style rankings, the highest became triple S for smoking six style. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's cool. So Trish and Lady fight a bunch of Abigail's like um, kind of minor demons that he summons. It's pretty cool. The action's pretty all right between Trish and Lady. They seem to be having fun. Yeah, which is like nice. Like they're they're having like a little rapport. They're sort of like you know talking to each other and fighting. Yeah, though it does keep, like, cutting away to show people getting killed by demons, which is like, okay. <laughs> okay. I was having fun. Right, they do cool murder demon things. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of people run in to go save Dante, who's still in that magic portal. Patty's the only one who ends up making it, and she takes the portal to Dante, um, tries to save him, and there's a really cool part where Lady and Trish are fighting, and Trish rides a missile into Abigail. Yeah, she charges it up with lightning. Which is really cool. And then at the end of that, they're like, well, shit, they're not going to be able to do anything. Guess we have to wait for Dante to be the hero. Mm-hmm. It's a little lame. But um, Patty does this cool thing where she jumps into the abyss onto the cross that uh, Dante has been crucified in and removes Dante's sword while she pours her heart out about... Like, sort of coming to appreciate Dante and his presence at the Devil May Cry, you know. And, uh, unfortunately, she's pulled out of the demon realm. She thinks that maybe she wasn't able to save Dante, but he pops out of the portal with the sword still in him. Yeah, well, it wasn't pulled all the way out. Just most of the way. Right, but it's still in him, but he pulls it out himself and he's like, uh, guess that, like, tickles or something. Yeah. Um... He has a big fight with Abigail. Um, he goes Devil Trigger, I guess. Yeah, it. well, he's having a regular fight with him and lands a bunch of like pretty good blows with that. And Abigail's like, oh, this is nothing. And so it, Dante does like a sort of dashing attack. It's not quite Dante's signature move Stinger from the games where he just like 
with no momentum, just like dashes forward super fast with his sword out in front. It's mm-hmm. like a, a weird like jump slash thing, but it zooms in on his eye, and you see just his eye transform, not his whole body at all, which is a real like it seemed like such an easy thing to do if you're doing something for like oh here's the cool fan moment here it comes we did 10 percent of it <laughs> cut away again like it's just one hit it's just one hit and the fight's over no cool demon powers no cool moves no, none of the like signature moves from the game so it's not really fan like entertainment it's not that great of a fight either because it just ends very abruptly <laughs> but we do get a jackpot <laughs> yes yeah dante after he turns back to normal sids is like oh are we just destined to be rubbed out by you like you just uh you're just gonna kill us all and then dante says like well it's not about power it's about having a soul <laughs> right and then he gets there, a speech like... that he's kind of given before in games but not as good <laughs> Right, it's sort of like a poignant sort of thing about the the power of the soul versus just physical strength and how demons don't get that because they don't have a sense of real emotion. Despite the demons that do have emotion, don't worry about them. <laughs> um, and then uh, Sid gets wasted and that's a jackpot. Yeah, finally he says it. It's okay. It's a little too little too late. And like, the buildup hasn't really been there. Yeah, so then... Uh, Nina adopts Patty to live a happy, boring life. Dante kind of has a moment where he's like, ah, "I kind of, mi- I'm gonna miss you, Patty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're a good kid." Dante and uh, Trish and Lady go out on a job together, and you know they have fun. And Patty shows up at the Devil May Cry to to clean it up again. You know, still still recognizing that she cares about the the crew at the Devil May Cry and. It's a it's a cute little moment at the end. Yeah. Also, they say they're going off to um to a place that like the person who gave the job is really loaded, and I feel like they just saw screenshots of Devil May Cry Four and saw the ordinate like fake Vatican City, and they're like, oh, they're gonna go help like a really rich person because <laughs> that's not the setup for Devil May Cry Four. <laughs> that's weird then, because it feels like it should be set up for Devil May Cry Four, given this whole like. Given everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, it's weird. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, that's Devil May Cry, the animated series. Mm Mm-hmm. It's... It's not good. Yeah. But uh, there are... There are ideas there. Yeah. Like, it's not uniformly... Like completely terrible. It doesn't. It can outside of that one really bad joke. Like, it doesn't contain stuff that's very objectionable. Which is actually considering like kind of the attitude of the show and the the team that worked on it. Like that is kind of surprising. But you still have to, after all of that, make a good show. And they didn't follow through. Yeah, they. You can definitely see the attempts there, but it definitely didn't make it. (laughs) And to start this discussion, I think one thing that more than anything else going into this I was surprised about is the way that they portray Dante as a character. Like, when I see, like, stuff from the game. It seems like 
he is sort of like not cool, but he postures a lot more at being cool. Yeah, well, he's a really corny guy, but it's supposed to be the kind of thing that's uh, like in- infectious. Like the kind of guy's like, well, he's not cool, but you know, he's just so positive. I just like, I just feel like good seeing him do his thing is supposed to be the appeal of Dante. Right, he seems a little like. You know, sort of like the guy who's still really into his frat house from college and shows up occasionally, like, like sort of the washed out sort of party animal kind of guy. Like, he seems like he has a lot more personality than in this, where the personality occasionally shines for a, but for a lot of it, he's just sort of like a prick. Yeah. It's also his taunting in the games and stuff is very, I guess, good natured. Like, he usually doesn't do a lot of direct insults. It's more just, like, playful things. Like, he, the demons he's up against are generally very old-fashioned. Like, they demand respect, right? Mm-hmm. And so what he just does is not give it to them. Like, in Don't Make Cry For Me, he's sitting on, like, a demon's tail for the whole time that's monologuing about something. And says, like, oh, I wish you'd finish your speech sooner. Now my coat's all charred. Like, that's not that's not an insult, but it is like, yeah, hey, I just I wasn't really caring about your stupid speech. Right, and he updates, and he, like... He constantly is sort of, like, belittling people through this. Like, Patty for the first bit where it's clearly not playful. And then everyone else he meets, it's sort of, like, either disinterest or, like, some sort of, like, low-key antagonism. <laughs> yeah, it's a little... It's a bit disappointing. It it could have been a lot more fun. But watching the show is kind of draining. <laughs> Yeah, like there are there are moments. Like I think that Death Poker does a pretty good job yeah. of that. Maybe because he just doesn't say as much, but like his attitude at the table and everything is pretty good. And sort of like by that point, his rapport with Patty sort of built up. So when Patty's like, "You suck at gambling," let me take over. Like their their banter there is pretty okay. Yeah, but like look at the first episode where you just like. He's like, I wouldn't sit there if I were you and lets a guy die by demon. And then just sort of, like, incriminates himself as the murderer. Just like... Yeah. I don't know, all that felt really out of place from what I've seen of the game, where the game, like, really plays him off as, like, sort of like a a, a doofy, lovable idiot. Like, the the intro bit of uh, Devil May Cry 3, I think it is, where he's, like, fighting demons in his office while he's trying to save his pizza. Yeah, a lot of Dante's like character in games is generally he's not trying to posit himself as like the best person in the room. He just likes <laughs> Steve, like the spotlight. Whereas in this one, he doesn't. He seems to not want the spotlight, but he wants you to know that he is the best person in the room. <laughs> like, leave me alone. I'm too cool. Right, I'm too cool. Reading my wall, <laughs> the Willboard magazine. <laughs> Yeah, and he's, like, sleeping all the time. Yeah. The, the characterization just seems like someone who... I, I don't really think they got the appeal of Dante. I think they had their own idea of what they liked about them. And it's kind of like when uh, when people make really edgy stuff about Batman where he just, like, practically kills people and tortures them all the time. It's like, I don't think you, you know why most people... Like, maybe this is a reason why some people like this character. But in general, I don't think this is why they do. And, like, Dante never wants to take a job, so, like, there's, like, nothing really charming about him. He's like, I don't want to take any job, but also I'm 
in debt to like four people. Whoa, whoa is me. <laughs> yeah, and the game too made it seem like most regular jobs that he might take would be just kind of like BS, like, oh, I thought I saw a ghost, but it's not at all, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then occasionally he has a serious job. Like, again, I'm not going to like ding it for stuff that's in DMC4, but in like one of the end credit scene things, that's just a sort of like post credits, not like a teaser for anything, just like an extra bonus where it says like, oh, a customer called and they have the password. So like there's a, there's a code word for the real big deal jobs. And then there's, all the bullshit he does regularly to pay the bills. And in this one, it's like, oh no, he doesn't, he fails to pay the bills with real demon jobs. Right, he constantly has real demon jobs. Like, I kind of wish that all of the missions didn't have such high stakes. Like, Yeah, what I kind of would have wanted out of this show would pretty much be like, his day-to-day life should be Mob Psycho 100 or Ghostbusters, (laughs) right? Right. Like it should be a bunch of like low stakes, but like still requires him to be like a really cool guy plots. And like the, the, the negative thing shouldn't be like, oh, these demons are murdering people in a prison for sport, or a person is driving people to murder each other to like to go to a concert. Like that's that makes this world seem really horrible to live in and not just like a place that's occasionally hit with a big disaster it seems like the world's just it feels more like devil man i guess right like it fits the characterization they've given him where he's like a like a hardened badass who constantly has to deal with this stuff but like the games never seem to give off that particular vibe yeah it's it's kind of nihilistic honestly and i i don't like that like that doesn't fit down my cry at all it feels again like that feels more like the reboot where he's a jerk and the world is trash and demons are ruining everything and they're in control like that that's a story you can tell but maybe not with this character yeah like i i really think that without ruben langdon providing the sort of like swagger to the role that he has doing the motion capture and the voice and stuff and all the stunts like that that must be the key really yeah, because it, it definitely feels like they just wrote a different character. Yeah, and considering it's the writer of the games that had the like flashiest Dante, I don't really know what to say to the fact that he doesn't seem to get the character. Because the, the episodes that the, the, the game writer wrote, right? Episodes three? So the, the, the Brangelina love story. <laughs> Episode four, Rolling Thunder, which is the Lady and Trish fight. And then 11 and 12, so kind of forced into a corner there to do plot stuff. But the two standalone episodes he does... I don't know. This, like, not love is just dull as dirt, really. Yeah, there's nothing interesting about that episode, but, like, Rolling Thunder, I think, has a little bit of that. Like, once they all get to interact with each other, they're having a lot, they're kind of having fun. They're sort of, like, you know, busting each other's balls about stuff. They're, they're, they're having a rapport. That seems like maybe it captures that. Yeah. Though in the games, too, it feels like once they're all together to fight the big demon, like, the game usually doesn't have, like, three-on-one fights or anything. There's occasionally two-on-one fights, and it's a big deal. But it seemed like that would probably mm-hmm. just be, like, a cool action cutscene. They fight a bunch of demons, and they all, like, team up to fight this one guy and put it all together. But instead, once they're all together and they've had a little banter, they just all point their guns and shoot this guy, and that's it. <laughs> Like, yeah, the action sequences in the games are significantly better than this, 
and they could have done so much more. Like, yeah, you can't do motion capture stuff. Like, it's not going to be as cool and detailed as that. You're not going to have, like, Nero wrapping his legs around Dante in midair and biting his gun to keep it out of his face, I guess. Wow, that's cool. But also, if you're going to go with stylized, you should go really stylized and not, I guess, what the studio's animation style is, which is sort of not like everything feels about the same level of reality and the blood is just really thick it's the thickest blood yeah that i think that's a direction issue honestly like it's a real shame and like the the scenario like stuff like the the series composition wasn't done by uh bingo the game writer either so maybe that's part of it too yeah, and like I mentioned the music earlier, but like the opening theme of the show feels like it could have come from a lot of different shows. Like it doesn't have that kind of energy. Like, yeah, I don't listen to Bud Rock, but in Delve Cry, I appreciate it as something really stupid. <laughs> like it's stupid, but it's kind of appealing because it's both hard and like cheesy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It hits that very specific point. And then this just like the opening theme, which also plays again during the final battle sequence, is very self-serious. Like it's going to be something like a dark story. Yeah, it feels like it tries to spin Devil May Cry into a more serious show, which like, I don't think that appeals to fans and certainly didn't appeal to someone who doesn't have any like <laughs> history with the series. Like, like. I'm, I'm, again, we'll get into it. Some of these scenarios are fun. There are fun ideas there, and they just don't play into the fun aspects of it, and it really yeah. sucks. Yeah, that's the problem with, even as a standalone, it doesn't have the bravery to be what it is fully either. The next thing I want to talk about is um, something I guess we've hit on a little bit, but like, this is not your typical sort of anime adaptation of a video game. A lot of them are trying to be like more faithful. They're trying to recreate the story for people who maybe haven't played the games. But this is a particular sort of like side story. Like, you know, again, it was made in tandem with the with the game that was coming out as sort of like a build-up to sort of like try to build interest and excitement in this. But like, does it matter that it's canon? Like, does its placement in the timeline matter at all? And like, could this just have been like anything else? And really watching it, I was at first curious about where it was set. And then later I just looked it up just to see... But by that point, I hadn't really cared because it feels like it's not set at any time in the Devil May Cry timeline because when's the point where Dante acts like this? Like, why? There's no point in the games that would set off this kind of behavior from him. There's no point in this show where Dante changes as a character at all. Like, he becomes nicer to Patty and stuff, but I wouldn't say he grows or develops at all. And even if he did, he is, in a way he wasn't like at the end of Devil May Cry 1, to end up in a way he's not like in Devil May Cry 4. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, when I look at this, like, it 
So you said that the 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 ending of the series is not a lead up into the fourth game at all, in terms of like, you know, the them all leaving on a mission together. Like it doesn't match up with the start of Devil May Cry Four. And like, if that's the case, then the like nebulous sort of oh, it takes place between these two games feels like it it doesn't mean anything. Like oh, okay, so there's any amount of time between these two games where this could have taken place and nothing of consequence would have come from it. Yeah, they honestly probably could have said it after Devil May Cry 2, because that one is like Dante rides into hell and the gate to hell shuts behind him. And then like after the credits, it's uh, the character from that game, uh, Lucia, is like sitting in Devil May Cry and she hears a motorcycle pull up outside. So Dante's back at some point in the future and he was very quiet in Devil May Cry 2, again, for reasons that probably aren't canon, just like bad direction. But mm-hmm. now you have the closest you could have to, like, a sullen Dante. And yet, no, it's said in this other time that makes no sense at all. And it doesn't improve the show. It diminishes the game. By, by being canon, I feel like it does diminish the game because now it feels like it's set in this really awful world where terrible shit happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. I don't want to, like, have a fun adventure in Devil May Cry. Like, ah, too bad. There's probably some awful demon warden making prison rape jokes out there somewhere (laughs) hunting people for sport i guess that's just where we are now so we talked about this a little bit that it it specifically has some ties to light novels and manga which are spinoffs of them of on their own does this like do you know anything about those and would this like be some sort of like split timeline where one of them is terrible and dark and gritty and one of them is like goofy (laughs) again i feel like because the light novels and stuff were written by like Bingo Morihashi and some other people, it feels much more like the show, honestly. Stuff like, oh, back when he was Tony Redgrave, he was like chased by assassins, and when he killed people, he just like, I forgot, he laughed or he cried all the time or something, but like, <laughs> it's, it's like really like hard. So, like, he had an extreme emotional reaction to just killing people all the time, and then he worked with someone to built his guns for him out of all the parts he used, and then she died, and he wasn't able to save her from demons. It's all much more similar to the show in tone, and I don't like those either. And again, they don't feel like they're set in the same universe as the game, ultimately. Mm -hmm. It's never reflected in the game. Like Outside of a few references, nothing in the game. Like, oh, his gun's safe for Tony Redgrave. Like, yeah, items from that era of Capcom games all say a bunch of random shit on them. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> That'd be like making a Resident Evil like spin-off thing that's like, oh, where's like American Wolf brand bullets come from? I don't care. <laughs> like, oh, maybe he stole these guns from Tony Redgrave. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, in the games I thought it was just explaining that like they're real guns, but he just kind of uses them as his equivalent of a magic wand. <laughs> Like, he, <laughs> the bullets he shoots are, like, his power. That's why they never run out of ammo. And, like, that's why other characters, like, his brother Virgil doesn't use guns. He just summons energy swords and shoots them at people. And, like, that's because he doesn't need something to channel his power. That's just something Dante chooses to do. I don't really care that, like, someone made him custom M1911s or something. <laughs> but why are the longest entries on the Devil May Cry wiki about the customizations to his handguns and not about, like, the character? Right? And this feels sort of like more here's some gaps to fill. Like what happened between Devil May Cry 1 and 4? Like I 
I assumed it wasn't important. That's why I didn't know about it. Or you didn't make it into a game. <laughs> and sure. it, it really doesn't feel important. Like it had world ending stakes, but it didn't feel important ever. And so like, I think we talked about it in the, the recap, like none of these characters, anime characters like pop up ever again, you know, Patty might as well have died. Like doesn't pop up ever again. They, she goes on to lead a boring life with her mother that isn't covered in demons. And like, <laughs> Abigail isn't brought up or discussed at all in the games. Like, Sid isn't there. This whole like, Alan Lowell thing is all like, Morrison's not present at all, even though he's supposed to be his go-to guy. <laughs> it's, it's a case of, I think, trying to, trying to like have the cake and eat it, where it's, it wants to find a place of canonity to be like, here are all these other new cool stories about Dante, but it also doesn't want to tie itself to the games. Yeah. So, it it comes to this case where, like, it's building up all these different things, but, like, once we get to Devil May Cry 4, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that any of these things happened. And, you know, none of these things have stakes or ties to other things, so it's like, yes, it's canon, but, like, does that mean anything at that point? Like, Yeah, the story feels very much like they wanted to follow storytelling rules, but not, like understand why they exist like oh you want to add morrison so that instead of dante just getting a job from a phone call he has a guy who is his go-between guy who he talks to but like their dynamics really boring like morrison's not that interesting and they don't talk that much so he's just kind of dead weight narratively right they just kind of like drink beer and then like kind of like shit on each other (laughs) yeah pretty much so yeah so like you know if if i'm gonna make comparisons to other Madhouse things. Gungrave the animation builds out the backstory of the game in a way that fits in the canon, right? And like, sure, it does its own thing with the ending to sort of like ground the story a bit more instead of being like aliens gave people drugs to turn them into <laughs> demons. Like, so it, it tries to take it into a more human story, which is fine, but like, the actual backstory part of it still aligns with what the game tells us and sort of like, you know, gives us a good idea of what the world looked like up to the point of the game. Because the game has basically no context. It doesn't matter. It's an arcade shooter. Yeah. So, like, that's a benefit that it gives to it is that it has all this time to build up parts that the game doesn't get. And then, even though it's not quite as flashy as as the game is, it still gets to those points as like, okay, well, here's a slightly different way for that to play out. But this, it's like, this is all fluff, right? Like, it's 12 episodes of filler for a 12-episode <laughs> series attached to a four-game game series. Yeah, I just, I, I've, I looked at some Crunchyroll reviews and a lot of people being like, yeah, this is, I love Devil May Cry and I didn't know this existed. And it's all just a lot of people who are happy that there's just more, not really that it's good. And I sort of get that where it's like, oh, you know, it's a chance for me to hang out with real Dante again and not fake Dante. Yeah. But like, it that doesn't make it good, right? Like, I get that feeling where it's like, oh, I would love content with more of the characters that I appreciate from other series that don't get maybe as much recognition anymore. But like... 
if they changed the character that much, I feel like it would be like, oh, well, they they didn't make this thing for me. Like, this is some weird other thing. Yeah, like I can't. I yeah, I'm a I'm a Devil May Cry fan, and I didn't feel like I got more Devil May Cry when I watched this. I feel like I was just watching a bunch of characters with the same name. Like it felt, in at times maybe felt less like Devil May Cry than the reboot did, and some and definitely felt less like Devil May Cry than some of the spin-off stuff does. Like I'd rather watch Dante's character interactions from Marvel vs. Capcom three or Project Cross Zone, <laughs> which are also God, video damn, games. That's really fucking rough, though. <laughs> I would rather interact with Project Cross Zone than to- the second one was okay. Oh, I was I okay. I got <laughs> I got mistaken on what you were talking about, but Project Cross Zone Cross Edge. I did. <sighs> yes, I was thinking about Cross Edge, <laughs> which is the spiritual sequel to. Chaos War. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I heard the first Project Cross Zone's not very good, but the second one is better. And, like, the character interactions that I've seen from it are actually, like, pretty amusing. Like, oh, what if, like, Ryu from Street Fighter talked to Segata Sanshiro, the guy from the commercials played by the first <laughs> Kamen Rider actor who was selling Sega right. Saturn? It's like, yeah, that like, is way more interesting than anything that happens in Devil May Cry, which is supposed to be a series that appeals to Devil May Cry fans. Right, which is, and it's also like, oh, what if, um, what if Phoenix Wright lived in the same Japan as the Yakuza characters and had defended them? Like, <laughs> it, it's willing to play with that in a way that is goofy in the same way a lot of those series are really fucking goofy. Yeah, Capcom was exceptionally, even Onimusha, which does have, like, oh, here's a scene of a bunch of people getting, like, wiped out by demons and such, has a sort of wildness about it. Like, it, it's a, trying to play, like, a straight samurai movie that they keep throwing, like, screeching demons into. Mm-hmm. And, like, wacky, like, rival characters. And even that, still, where it's trying to at least at its base be a samurai story that they put a twist on, is more fun than this is, which is supposed to be the wild and wacky universe of Devil May Cry, Mm -hmm. where a guy with an attitude just, like, shakes up all these stuffy demons and fights them not as, like, a noble knight or something, which was pretty common at the time, and not as a, like, genre-savvy wisecracking dude who's like, oh, here's another dragon. Doesn't this suck, guys? (laughs) Now let's, like, engage with it uncritically. It's supposed to just be, like, a guy in-universe who's just, like, having fun. (laughs) And you look at other anime series that try to do the same sort of thing, like the Brotherhood Final Fantasy XV, right? Yeah. And, like, that does a lot of work to build out the characters and the camaraderie of these characters, because, like, they're not going to put these flashbacks in the game, right? Like, these would be terrible gameplay experiences, so they use the medium of anime to be able to, like, tell these particular stories to, to like, build out these characters. Yeah, and even that, like, Brother has scenes where it has, like, little visual humor moments where, like, oh, Noctis, don't, like, take that off your burger. And then he just, like, does it quietly <laughs> while the dialogue is still happening. Like, that is so much funnier. Like, there, there are moments in Devil May Cry like that also. Like, again, like, I'm bringing up four just because it's the most, like, present example in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and again, it was after, but there's stuff like this in all the games. Like uh, in the fight scene between Nero and Dante at the beginning of the game, Nero grabs a sword, and like the swords in that game from that like part of the world all have like a motor engine in them that like revs up. <laughs> so he like he jams his sword in the ground and revs it up, and then Dante like looks and like pulls out his own sword, and then he jams in the ground, and he does like a wrist twitch, like he's revving his sword up too. <laughs> Which is that's really cool. cool. <laughs> that's so- funny it's like all right dude cool sword but again without <laughs> saying that's a stupid sword for idiots mm-hmm. yeah it's just so much more like lively and quick and uh, i again to make one more comparison of like a very similar idea is uh one that no one will resonate with at all except me <laughs> which is uh soccer wars the tv series they have multiple sort of like spin-off movies and like OVA series that are continuations of the story but like I don't know exactly the format of Devil May Cry I assume it's a pretty self-contained story from the game from game start to game end yeah it's not like a bunch of mini missions uh there are there are missions but they just split up your tasks because otherwise it would be like a weird resident evil environment and you wouldn't have like a direction of where to go sure but like with um soccer wars like those games are basically like Saturday morning cartoons where each chapter is sort of like an episode of an anime, right? Yeah. And the way that they break out those stories when it comes to the movies and stuff that are like standalone is they just they follow that same procedure. You know, it, yeah. it's it feels like a continuation in a way that like this Devil May Cry series, like, because these are all such small stories with not a lot of depth to them. It feels like it's supposed to be like, oh, this is just the day-to-day life of Dante, but like they're all the same fucking story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And with his characterization, like he seems pretty tired of it. Like all the time. Right. He's just so over it. And that's like whereas with actually after that scene, the fight scene in uh, Devil May Cry 4 when Nero asks him, like, what he's talking about, when he starts, like, when he does start talking, actually, and trying to, like, plant some seeds of doubt in Nero's mind, like, what he knows is true. Like, where he asks, like, what's going on? And Dante says, like, he'll come to know the meaning soon enough. But he says it in a way that's sort of, like, yeah, I know it's a line, but it's true. <laughs> and then right after that, too, like, Nero shoots him to try and get him to talk more. And then Dante, like, he's at, like, jumps out of, like, a, a window, like, a, a sort of stained glass ceiling. He pops back in for a second, and then says, adios, kid, and he does, like, a salute, and it's the most, like, Looney Tune shit ever. <laughs> it's just such a comparison where you're like, ah, here's tired old Dante, and here's him doing a Looney Tunes thing. Like, it, it's so much, it's fun. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's that guy I love. Like, I mean, that probably fed into why people didn't want to play as Nero for the first half of Devil May Cry 4, because they want to be Dante so much. But, like, that's the point. You look at Dante and you want to be that guy. He's having fun, unlike in this anime most of the time. <laughs> like, yeah, he almost, like, stumbles into fun more than he has fun. Yeah. He's easy to, like, try to maybe pull extract it from situations where unexpectedly he's gonna have fun. Right. Moving into something that I think 
is a interesting perspective to look at this. How does Devil May Cry change when you look at it as an adaptation versus a standalone? Because again, you have a history with these games and I don't. So I come in with like occasional preconceived notions of these characters, but I don't really have a connection with them. And I still think this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like we've talked about this a bit, but like this doesn't make me interested in the games. And I think yeah. that's a big problem for something like this, where it's again, released before a game to get people excited about this release. It's not very good at that. Like it doesn't, seem to understand what makes Devil May Cry cool. Yeah, and I feel like the things that are also strong in the show at all are maybe even potentially also detrimental to your interest. You're like, oh, I like Death Poker. Oh, there's nothing like that in the game. You never play poker with it, obviously. Well, sure, I don't expect that, but like... That's what I mean, like... You know, and like if you're watching this and you know what the games are like you're like well that's cool but that seems like it has nothing to do with the games like I won't get to do that cool thing from the show in the games all the stuff that sucks is apparently what I do in the games <laughs> but yeah like Death Poker has a personality to it right like yeah. that's the thing that's missing from a lot of this is personality like I laugh at some of these things from a specific angle of looking at it like there are fun ideas here and sometimes it pays off a little bit but it really doesn't a lot of the time. And it's a real shame because, like, from what I understand about the games, this just doesn't capture any of that. And, like, this doesn't make me interest. Like, I'm not expecting the action to be, like, as good as if you were playing it in the game. A- action isn't great in this. <laughs> like... Yeah, it's really quick. There's some, like, goofy action where you, like, again, like, jabs someone with a sword to keep him in place and then shoots the hell out of them. But, like... A lot of the action is sort of, like, implied. <laughs> like, they yeah. keep cutting away from Dante doing the cool thing. I want to see Dante do the cool thing. Yeah, it's one of those ideas of, like, what makes a character so cool when someone says, well, they're so powerful. That's really <laughs> all these things suggest. That I don't care if someone's powerful. You can make up a powerful person. That's really easy. I'm going to come to a character called Strong Fight Man, and he is <laughs> one billion times stronger than anyone. He can punch God anytime he wants, but he doesn't because he's such a nice guy. There, I did it. Hey, hey don't talk about my Sonic OC that way. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's so easy to just say, that guy's really strong, but to say that he does anything interesting with it is supposed to be the appeal of characters like that like not just that there's do a lot of damage mm-hmm. and this is missing that style it's like Devil May Cry as a game has a style ranking system it wants you to mix up your attacks and do very things and finish off enemies in cool ways and even like by Devil May Cry 3 they even added that it makes it easier for you to do other moves if your style ranking is higher and also you do increasingly like absurd stylish taunts if your ranking is higher mm-hmm. but like th- there's no real like taunting there's no mixing up of attacks in this like it's not just that he doesn't like oh he didn't do the high time like launcher move or something like that it's a he doesn't do very many interesting attacks ever and everything dies so fast like you can you can have an anime where someone gets run through with a sword or like launched in the air by a giant sword strike and they still keep fighting. It, anime's done that plenty of times. Right, it's called Sengoku Basara. 
Yeah, people will accept it if you just show that to be the reality as it is. They're demons. You can do whatever you want with them. And, like, it occasionally gets that. There are, like, glimmers of, like, fun action stuff, like, uh, during the, the wish-granting one, where, uh, where he throws the demon into, like, a bunch of, like, billboards and stuff, and, like, it, you know, plays with sort of the interaction, or, like, um, episode 11, I think it is, when he's getting attacked for the pendant, like, shooting him into, like, a, a neon sign that, like, sparks out and, like, kills the demon that way. Like, there are glimmers of, like, having fun with sort of the setting and what they can do with it, but it just, it's constantly, like, undermining itself by, like, giving up these cool ideas. And it's all, like, property damage-driven cool stuff. Like, it's not these doing, right. like, individually, like, cool moves on their own. It's all, like, look, he smashed him into that amusing thing. Right. Which, again, that's something you can't do in the games, really, so that's not... <laughs> if you thought that was cool in this, sorry, you're not gonna do Devil May Cry 4. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, certainly, from my perspective, it's like, this is, like, the least appealing thing if I wanted to get into the games, because it's like, oh, this is just, like... I see a potential here, but, like, if this is the level of quality that the games give, then, like, ugh. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of when, um, a lot of complaints were coming out about the Devil May Cry reboot, and people who weren't fans of Devil May Cry or, like, not that familiar with it said, oh, people complain that he's an asshole in the new one, but isn't he kind of an asshole in the old one? And this seems like it's built with that same kind of understanding. Like, oh, he's supposed to be an <laughs> asshole, right? Right, like, someone told him through the telephone, like, explain daunting. It's like, he's kind of like a jerk-off, and it's like, okay, got it. <laughs> he has a sword and two guns. Well, okay, so he should do most fights with the guns, right? I mean, guns are just better <laughs> right. if you got guns. Right, he magically attaches the, uh, the sword to his back. <laughs> and then he just doesn't use it. Mm-hmm. Or there's no scene, like, also, if you want to talk about stuff like would be appealing to fans, he never kills any demon and then gets their power and it turns into a cool weapon that he does, like, a bunch of cool kung fu tape moves with. <laughs> like, hey, check out what I can do with this, like, set of nunchucks, guys. To, like, no one, really, but he's just having a fun time messing around with the nunchucks he got from killing Cerberus. <laughs> like, that's something that I like. Like, again, it's, yeah, it's silly. It's not, it's gonna undercut your very serious story, but... Maybe your goal is bad in the first place and you can't do the <laughs> stuff that's good. Yeah, and like, you discussed it before how different this Dante is from, like, his canon one. Like, it's a it's a total misrepresentation that, like, certainly isn't going to make fans happy, right? Like, for the most part, fans are going to be like, who's this? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, this is the sort of thing that people get run off of Twitter for these days, <laughs> like to, for, for messing up their beautiful character canon. Yeah, it would sell me. Like, I feel like if I watch this as long, I'd have to tell them, "No, he's not like this. No, like, trust me, he's cool." You know, why don't we just stop watching <laughs> this? I got Devil May Cry three. <laughs> Let's just play that. And if the answer is just play the games instead, why did you make this? Right, like, it, it definitely feels like a, a, a misstep where it's like, it's not going to make fans happy, and it's not going to make newcomers happy, unless, you know, I can imagine being, like, 13, right? And, like, being way into this particular Dante. Yeah, well, see, the thing is, I could, but Dante already appealed to 13-year-olds as he. Right, right, I'm, I'm saying, like, if I didn't know about Devil May Cry the game... I can imagine watching this and going, like, oh, wow, he's such a 
a cool badass, but like even having sort of like a a simple understanding of who he's supposed to be makes it like, oh, they like don't they didn't like get it. Yeah. And having anime you say, well, I'd like it if, you know, I had lower standards. <laughs> is- yeah, more or less. It's like there there's an audience for this. And it's like thirteen-year-olds who don't know anything about anime or Devil May Cry. Yeah, and again, like since the character already appeals to that demographic, you are—it's like the same appeal, but less. Like less people will like them, but some of the same people will like them, and they'll leave five-star reviews on Crunchyroll for. <laughs> right. Someone's gonna be happy, right? Yeah, I mean, clearly the people who made it were happy with it, but I get—I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's a real berserk 2016, 2007. <laughs> then I wanted to talk about like, I mean, we, we've talked about the stories a lot that like there's potential there and stuff. And like, what specifically are these stories missing? I and mean, we talked about it a bit, right? Like the, the action's bad. It could do with better action, could do with better characterization, but like, I also feel like even the stories that are close to good are, like, missing some integral part to make them, like, exciting or to make them resonant in a way that's, like, satisfying. Yeah. And in some cases, it's almost like they just need another episode. Like, they could cut, I don't know, Not Love. Not Love's a bad episode with (laughs) just nothing going for it. And, like, give... I don't know, an episode and a half to, like, Rock Queen, right? Like, get a chance to to build up these characters, their relationships, and understand sort of, like, the tragedy of what happened, where it's, like, this demon appears and sort of, like, misinterprets someone's dreams in a way that's, like, it basically ruins their life. Yeah. And I guess we're talking just as, like, a standalone in that case, because that's adaptation-wise, it would be, like, I'd say have more fun, but if if you're gonna do a story like this, at least understand that you want to show something like astounding to be like, oh, these imagine a world where demons could like hear the whispers of human desires and do what they want. But turns out, I guess that what people want and how demons interpret it is stuff I've pretty much seen before. Like even if this is like from 2007. I'd seen all this by then, too, and time has only made it more commonplace. Right, we're sort of like, oh, I misinterpreted your wish, fuck you. Yeah, I've seen Wishmaster. <laughs> but, like, you know, there are episodes with, like, an idea behind them, and just, like, not the time or, like, the effort. There's there's a lot of fluff in this show. You know, even outside of the stuff that I like, where it's, like, you know, Patty interacting with Dante in a way that's fun, there is a lot of like fluff and things that could be built upon within these shows that could take from the time that they spend not doing a bunch of like Dante like complains for like three minutes (laughs) and like move on. Like wishes come true could have been two episodes. There are two plots happening. (laughs) Yeah. And then his side, yeah, uh, his sidekicks could also be expanded out more like they show up to really I actually I can't really think of like what role they serve it seems kind of fluid to what the episodes need is 
they don't seem to have much to themselves that's very I could discern from it, right? Outside of like the Rolling Thunder, where like Lady has her own job she's doing and also Trish is there, right? Like yeah. we at least get the idea in this town, Lady's doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So like there there is like a a moment of that. Yeah. And I guess it's maybe an issue of just doing like an episodic story that it's not one big narrative that they don't have like their own stakes and goals in it but if that's the case then you need to apply them a little more evenly across the board like what is lady's character she wants to get paid okay but dante also wants to get paid and trish also wants to get paid (laughs) they they work jobs of course they want to get paid and like it's episodic until it's not, which is also an issue. Like, Yeah, it doesn't really plant the seeds early enough to feel like it's episodic. Just at the end, it's like, oh, here's stuff from all the episodes. Like, You can do that. Again, that's the thing you could do with almost any story to say, oh, actually, it was all connected. Because they used the stuff from all the episodes. Right, and like, nothing about Abigail's planted. That could have been done. The only thing that technically ties it together is that Sid keeps popping up to like, grave rob some demons and then like tell dante hey fuck you yeah oh why does it oh it's like dante can't kill him because he gets away too fast but he's supposed to not have any powers but he can also steal someone's skin like remove all their insides and their brain and take on their identity yeah he he has powers but he just oh he wants to be strong and rule the world which means when he transforms he starts firing big lasers and blowing up parts of the city like i just don't get like why that's interesting it's it's built on the assumption that someone just wants power because it's interesting like yeah that was the villain of devil may cry 2's motivation and that story wasn't very good <laughs> but that villain was also like a multinational capitalist so it's also exactly the kind of thing i'd expect out of that kind of person <laughs> <laughs> it's like the villain of devil may cry 1 it's like oh he's the guy that tried to kill dante before and wants to wipe out him and the demon who betrayed all of demon kind before, and then Devil May Cry 3, like, the reason why Virgil wants to seek power is because he couldn't protect his mother, and so, like, he feels like he needs to make up for that. And then the actual villain's like, yeah, the guy manipulating it behind the scenes to get this true power that he's obsessed with, etc. But, like, again, the final boss fight isn't against him. The final boss fight's against Virgil because that the the core of the story, this guy who just wants to be strong, is an accessory to the plot. And it's like, again, if you plant the seeds early, maybe make a reference to Abigail anywhere in the first <laughs> ten episodes, then we can at least get an idea of, like, what the fuck? I had no- okay, first of all, I didn't know Sid's name until, like, episode <laughs> ten or eleven. But second of all, like, the issue here is, like, he's doing these things- and basically, we have no idea why. Like, sure, he pops up in, like, episode five to, like, fuck with Dante by giving this man this demon summoning bell. Whatever. But, like, if he could just, like, exposit even, like, uh, ah, Abigail, I'll revive you soon, and then we can destroy Dante, who owned me so hard in episode one, we can at least have an idea of what we're building up to. Like, yeah, and there are other demon summoning subplots in this show already. They're like, oh, I'll summon you and you'll rule the world again. And those have more characters in them. And, like, we could even start early with, like, 
you know, oh, this Patty Lowell was not the Patty Lowell from, you know, episode one is like, oh, it's a mistaken identity with the same names. But we could have a build up to like, oh, then who's this Patty Lowell? And like, you know, talk about Alan Lowell or something, you know, like, there are ways to just give hints to the story. <laughs> yeah, and they just don't like it's really, they just feel like they're getting it out of the way. They feel like all the plots are just getting them out of the way. Cyber Dante of Showdown, all right, he does one, he does like a bunch of gunshots and a stab, or sometimes just a stab, or just a gunshot. All right, that's done with. Now we can move on to the next thing that we just need to get out of the way. Yeah, episode 10 is the only one with any fighting ambition. Otherwise, it's just like, <laughs> oh, I parried a motorcycle and then I shoot it a lot. It's a, it's just a, ugh, it's a shame. Because like, again, yeah. there are, there are stories in here that aren't bad. You could cut not love and you could cut once upon a time and expand i don't know wishes come true or rock queen and like like the last promise that should be a big deal yeah like try to to build up that character yeah last promise could be two episodes where it's like if it's just one background on sparta bowel and modeus and then in the second episode it's like that lead up and why dante is attached and everything like there are places in here where it's like oh we could use more time to like make any of this emotionally resonant but they don't yeah and stuff like uh like with once upon a time it plays it talking about his backstory but he keeps denying it the whole time so you'd be well within reason to think it really was like a case of mistaken identity and this guy's just throwing stuff at him but the subtext is that he is really tony but if you play the games and you think Oh, yeah, I mean, he was Tony, and so this would make sense, I yeah, like, guess. But then the demon who burned the town has no connection to Mundus that you could think of to, like, seal the deal if you played the games. And it just feels completely separate. Like, if you played Devil May Cry 1 afterwards, you're like, oh, okay, so this is what happened. He wasn't ever Tony. There's no flashbacks. There's no hints about it really being true outside of... Like, the fact that they talk about it so much? Yeah, like, I, in my notes, I go back and forth, like, three or four times, like, is he Tony? Well, like, of course he's, he's Tony. I looked it up. But he's also, like, denying it so hard, like, maybe he isn't this Tony? Like... Yeah, the thing is, I thought, oh, so it's gonna tie into, like, the Tony Redgrave thing. Oh, maybe it's not, though. Like, me, knowing that going in, I felt like, (laughs) maybe, wait, am I wrong? It's such a... Like, if he could give up the fucking act... For like a minute. And like, there's nothing that that ambiguity adds. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's really nothing his characterization does to improve the stories in the show. Right, and he doesn't, like, he doesn't learn anything. We don't get any information on Dante. It's just like, this dude who's been like so obsessed with trying to help this guy that immediately turns on him because he's half demon or whatever. It's such a worthless episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, it could have been something much more emotionally affecting. Like, not a ton, but it could have done something. I didn't even start mm-hmm. to feel sad at any point. Right, it's just like, oh, this guy is, like, really pushy in a way that is not interesting. Yeah, and he wasn't really that, like, endearing either. Like, they again, they write it to fit the rules of storytelling, but without the understanding of why any of those rules are used and what good you can make of it. Mm-hmm. It's just... Ugh. Again, these stories... <sighs> Let's take a minute 
to talk about our favorite scenarios from the show. And like, again, we've talked about this quite a bit, but like, there, there's like potential in some of these in a way that maybe we haven't discussed. Because like, I don't know, Rolling Thunder is like a cool idea to pit two of the main characters against each other because they don't know each other. Yeah. Like, that's maybe the one thing that, from what I understand, ties into Devil May Cry 4 and that, why are they all working together? Oh, they know each other now, kind of thing. Yeah, I'd say, like, this is how they met. And to be, they never fight in the, the games at all, so, like, you wouldn't know what that looks like. So that's that's something new, at least. And right. It, it, was a, it was a pretty decent fight. It wasn't over immediately again, which is relief. Right. It's, it, it's maybe a little women be shopping. <laughs> like we've said. But just like the case of, well, we need these two to interact in a way outside of their fights that makes Lady Waver on this idea. And it's like the easiest sort of like shorthand they could come up with. <laughs> so again, with more time, I think they could build up sort of this animosity to sort of like questioning to final realization kind of thing. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of the ideas in the show would fit much better for, like, a longer season. Like, just a longer show in general. Maybe even, like, a weekly show. You know, like, the syndicated show, I guess. Right. Because, like, some of these could take more time, and some of these could really build up relationships, but it's like, you you get a hint of that, and then it's over and done. Yeah. It's a little too quick for all of these sort of things. And again, we talked about it. I think Death Poker might be the best example of like really hitting it because there's you don't have to build anything up all these characters just die by the end yeah and everything else is like well contained within the context of what you've seen for the past eight episodes fantastic story yeah just play up like kind of the tropes of like a high stakes poker game but it's still entertaining yeah because it's like it's not it's not dealing with the minutiae it's sort of like you know it gets to these places and it's like okay now, you know, they're going to have, like, sort of the one big moment where someone tries to call someone's bluff and then fucking die. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we talked about it a little bit. Like, Last Promise, with, I don't know, two episodes to even, like, begin to scratch the surface of how Bowel and Modeus and Sparta have a relationship, then we could maybe get somewhere with that. Yeah, also it's, like, suggested in the games that Dante actually doesn't know a ton about his father at all. But he doesn't mm-hmm. really ask in this either. Right, like, this is his chance at this point. Like, before Bell dies, like, tell me about my father. Yeah, but at the very least, you get, like, Paddy's dynamic with Modeus and stuff like that. It's like, there's more going on, at least, to keep you yeah. occupied. There's an idea there, and there's just, like, it feels really crammed for a 24-minute <laughs> episode. Like, <laughs> there's clearly a lot going on here with how Modeus sees his brother and Bao sees Sparta and how that manifests in Dante. There are so many things happening in this episode in terms of their relationships that could totally be built up on. And that's like a good story, but they yeah. don't get to it. And also just like you can see Patty as a kid, not as in kids are annoying or not as in kids are bossy, but yeah, kids sometimes just like have legitimate grievances to air and they will air it to a stranger in a way that's kind of endearing. <laughs> Right, and it's like, thanks for listening, I'm gonna go back to my orphanage now. Mm-hmm. And then, like, man, which has come true, this episode sucks, but, like... <laughs> yeah. It's... So, like, 
you think it's just like, a, oh, they don't know how to interpret wishes from people. But like, the turn that this demon can only spit acid and just wants an excuse to do that and like keeps pushing back on people who want real wishes. Yeah, and he's got it's like, like a funny as hell. That he goes off of where he like someone says one thing and says, no, pick something else, open one eye. Next thing say, that bores me, open second eye. Third thing they say, say it wouldn't benefit you, open third eye. And next time they say they want to kill someone, spray acid. It's like it's like a, a pickup artist script kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Completely ignore them and say whatever you want. And then if they happen to say something vaguely relevant to what you actually want, then you do it. <laughs> then you go in for the neg. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's funny. That's a funny twist on something that even happened in an episode before with sort of like, I misinterpret wishes. So, like, there's a charm there. Yeah. It was actually kind of brought down by the fact that, like, when he's fighting Dante, he says, like, oh, you know, my next line was supposed to be, it wouldn't benefit you. He's like, no, I wish he was more like a pickup artisan that he doesn't realize that he's being totally played with and now running his <laughs> script makes him look like an idiot. Right. <laughs> and, like, the double prison thing just caused, that's like, drags that down. Because it's like its own other episode would be, like, his escape from from Devil's Prison. Yeah. And also remove the, like, really awful, like, Joke. Joke yeah, in quotes. God, that was so weird. Like, yeah, those are your other moment of homoeroticism, which is that. It, it comes out of nowhere, and it's like the most throwaway of jokes because it never comes back up again. And like, there's nothing about that character that's like, oh, this is like, even as awful as it would be, that's not like his thing. It's just like one and done, like, we wanted to make this really shitty, edgy joke. Yeah. So it's like, you cut that, but then you build out the most dangerous game, but with demons, and, like, you could maybe have an episode there. Yeah, or, like, have them, like, work with the prisoners to, like, alright, like, here's how demons work. Here's my knowledge of demons. Here's how he use it to stay safe. But then he breaks in, like, oh my god, what's he doing, though? He's crazy. It's like, oh, it turns out he's super strong, and, like, he's gonna take him out and, like, impress everyone. No, you just see them get, like, sliced in half for a bit, and then Dante shows up, and, like, it seems like most of the prisoners are dead at that point. Right, like, they could at least, like, Bugs Bunny the fucking demons. <laughs> like, yeah, like, that would be so much more fun, but the idea, like, the idea, it's the start of something cool, where it's like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna play a game, guys, it's like, oh, the game is murder. <laughs> and we're not even gonna toy with you, it's just murder. <laughs> No additive. And everyone already knows about this somehow, like they've been told. Yeah, which is kind of weird. Like, how is anyone still alive in this prison? And like, the, the one other thing I wanted to bring up is like, in private, which is sort of an interesting idea, which is like, what does Dante's lifestyle look like to like a dude? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, he does, all, he does a bunch of weird shit that no one gets, and like, it's very, like, off the wall because he's doing all these things because he does demon jobs. And, you know, it's it's wacky in a way that, like, kind of benefits it because it's, like, you know, outsider looking in on something that you're already kind of privy to. Yeah. And saying, like, just as a reminder, this is actually really weird. Right. And also, like, the fact that they're um, building up sort of this, like, uh, his relationship with someone else based on Dante kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's kind of a charming message at the end of it is just like don't chase after people to to like threaten other people with their you know what they do outside of their interactions with others it's 
there's there's something decent there again epic takedown of nice guy culture Mm -hmm. but like you know you could make that funnier yeah i think again if the show was like you know ghostbusters or mob psycho 100 which is pretty much anime ghostbusters like if if that was the kind of thing you were showing him do then it would have the potential for a lot more comedy and really, like, that would make this episode a lot stronger. Because doing the comedy episode of the very self-serious demons run the world and kill everybody, at, like, on their own whims is, like, it's just, it can only be so funny. <laughs> and even within the context of this show, like, if you had a bit where he just, like, constantly looks in on Devil May Cry and Dante's just sleeping for, like, eight <laughs> days in a row, like... There's still a joke to be had that we're like, yeah, maybe Joe's like, wow, that guy ate like eight pizzas in like five minutes. That's not normal. <laughs> right. Because then you have other fodder like, oh, he's super unhealthy. Like, you know, he's not taking care of himself kind of thing. He has a child clean up for him. Like, there's even more of that. And then you get to like, after eight days of nothing, it's like, oh, what the fuck? He just murdered the mafia. Yeah. So like, there- there are totally some good scenarios that are dragged down by the format and whoever the fuck is in charge of these episodes. (laughs) And, like, I don't even know if it's, like, the individual writer's fault in a lot of cases. It might also be, like, the person who actually handled, like, series composition. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts in here. Like, this doesn't... It is inconsistent, but it doesn't feel inconsistent in the way that I would normally criticize a show for it's like because the whole on the whole i don't think i like the ends they achieved at any point the actual end result was not ever something i liked so the different ways in which they did it is not as much of a problem it's uh and like it all the episodes are bad in different ways yeah and so like it's hard to be like oh this is the chain of, this is the thing that fell in the chain it's like Kind of everything is an issue, depending yeah. on which episode. Yeah, this is like it's a team effort. Really, <laughs> you needed a different team. <laughs> yeah, like man, you could have could have picked someone who wasn't Shinigaki, couldn't you? <laughs> you could have had one writer, or you know, someone who like just get Bingo Morahashi on the whole thing, so it's at least consistent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess he didn't write Death Poker, so it's not really self-congratulatory. Yeah, it's not quite, oh, I did so good. Okay, so episodes, Seth Trader, cool it with the self-congratulatory. It's still the same problem, just not the same person. Here's the thing. The guy who did the serious composition is the guy who wrote Death Poker, so he's batting himself on the back for putting this all together for you. I made this episode just so I could give myself a little pat. (laughs) Just so I I could show you how clever I am. Yeah. And sorry, if you want to be patted on the back for being Clevin's show, you first have to do anything I haven't seen before. <laughs> Even then, it still might not be, like, as clever as you think it. Like, I know, I, I like Christopher Nolan movies, but I do admit this is a problem. Like, and when people bring it up, so I was like, oh, he thinks he's so clever. It's like, at least he did something kind of novel. It's not as clever as maybe it's, like, presented as, <laughs> but it's at least a bit different at least i can understand why someone might think they've achieved something as much as they say it's good right versus this one like why do you why are you patting yourself on the back for this <laughs> get it because golden arm joe has a golden arm <laughs> can't believe the guy with the beard carries a sack of money guys get it a sack 
<laughs> like Santa. It reminds me of like college creative writing class or something. Was I was like, I know a story's supposed to be clever, but I'm not really in the creative writing program. I don't really want to do this, but I had to fulfill an elective. But I guess I'll like try and write something clever. It kind of feels like that. <laughs> or yeah, like if you were like a child making jokes, where like you <laughs> understood the things that make up a joke, but you couldn't help but explain it. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. Show could have been good. Could have been good. Could have been just like honestly, if the show is like, hey, you know the cutscenes from Dogma Cry, here's like an animated version of those for twelve episodes. That would have been great. <laughs> some quips, some cool gun foo. Like even with Dante shoots his guns a lot in the show, and it's just like he points them at the thing and fires. Not like ah, like the uh, gunslinger style from Devil May Cry Three. Some of those poses are actually directly from the movie Equilibrium. <laughs> oh, which has weird. like ridiculous gun kata in it, <laughs> where he does these different <laughs> poses to optimally shoot a room full of people and like one on like ten guys. And this has him point guns directly at people and then fire. <laughs> Does he do any of the, the charge shots? No. Like, again, like, no moves from the game, not because I need my references for the media to be good, but because they didn't do anything else in its place either. <laughs> Just, like, maybe they could have cribbed some good ideas from this because it seems like they didn't have any and settled with, well, then we'll just not have any. Damn shame. Real damn shame. <laughs> not as good as Gundam 0080, I will say. <laughs> Next year, we'll look to something better. <laughs> we'll try to find a middle ground. Right. So now that we've talked about Devil May Cry, it's time to answer some fan mail. You know, you might be surprised. I don't think many people have seen this. <laughs> so questions are a little more scattershot than maybe they usually are first one comes in from Kalendon. Which one of you should have been the one to fill my dark soul with light? <laughs> I think that's up to, uh... Again, someone who knows about the games. Probably up to, to you to fill their dark soul with light. Can Probably. you explain the context behind that? Okay, so in the, um... In Devil May Cry 1, uh, Mundus is about to kill Dante and then Trish, having, like, developed feelings, uh, steps in and like saves and like gets killed instead and then you have a boss fight with Mundus where you appear to to beat him and then Dante's back in that room and he sees like Trish you know dead on the ground and picks her up and says like you know I should have been the one to save you should have been the one to fill your dark soul with light light <laughs> like his voice <laughs> does crack uh, there's a reason they didn't call Drew Coombs back for that role <laughs> <laughs> And it plays, like, this really cheesy, like, midi, sad theme. <laughs> cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, then we have one from The Toughest Bean, which I think this is going to be a more general question than just the anime. Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, does Devil May Cry use Christianity and specifically Western demonology in interesting ways? Or does it clearly not understand it in similar ways as something like Neon Genesis Evangelion? And, like, I don't think it takes anything from, like, 
Christianity or demonology. Like, the only thing that ties it to any sort of, like, religious context is the fact that Dante gets uh, crucified. Yeah. Like, the the games, like, they don't really take directly from, like, Christianity especially, but it's more like this class of enemy, each one is named after, like, a circle of hell from the Divine Comedy, or these are named after, like, a specific deadly sin, etc. And it does pull from a few different cultures, for sure, to, like, get all its names. Kind of like uh, Shin Megami Tensei. Mm Mm-hmm, sure. But it's less interested in, like, trying to hang close to that and mostly just use, like, cool iconography when it can. Right. And ideas. Um, But this show... The demons are pretty generic and... They're just like goblins. Yeah, they're like goblins. They're not... The weird thing is, like, some of the demons in, like, Devil May Cry 1 are, like, lizard men. <laughs> they're not, like, really any... Like, I guess that is probably in a few mythologies. But, like, they're just... They're lizard men in armor. But that's still more interesting than anything here because you just get, like, assorted toothy blobs... Yeah, they're all, like, kind of gray blobs. Like, one of them sort of looks like a dog, and one of them is sort of a motorcycle. But, like, in a lot of cases, they're just, like, humanoid in a way that's, like, really boring. Yeah. Yeah, they they have them pretty close in design to each other, that when new ones show up, all I can say is, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen that one before. Like, the only- there are two in here that have, like, unique designs. And the first one is in Rock Queen, where, like, the entire iconography is sort of, like, based around, like, the Little Mermaid and sort of, like, giving up something to uh, to garner success. Yeah. And so, Elena gets, like, gills and stuff and kind of gives off this sort of, like, kind of, like, fish, like, sea monster sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. So, it's got, like, a sense of style to that. And then in, like, the, uh, in Rolling Thunder with the, the guy who's pretending to be a priest, it sort of, like, has this look of, like, a pagan god, so I guess that's yeah. the closest thing it has to sort of, like, kind of playing with Western demonology, and that it has, like, very pagan ideas, like, it's got kind of the hoofed feet, it's got the big horns, and it's got sort of, like, the the halfback sort of wings. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's just like, oh, this is just, like, a humanoid person. Yeah, it's not like Devil May Cry has always had the most, like, you've never seen it before designs, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, a flame spider, or a thunder giant owl or something is like they, they're cool and like especially this follows devil may cry 3 which has like an evil songstress who like sends out electrified bats and when you defeat her she turns into a scythe that's also an electric guitar <laughs> okay that's pretty cool yeah the stuff like that cerberus uh like the ice theme is you know whatever but still turns into like a Instead of, like, uh, triple nunchucks? Like a tr- three-sectional staff? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Like, there's also a Beowulf, like, not really based on a mythological, a mythological character at all, because it's just, like, a giant punching wolf man. But yeah, like, even in that, like, you don't actually defeat him. Like, you beat the boss, but he runs away. And then Virgil kills him later, and so next time you fight Virgil, he's using, like, his katana, but also these, like, gauntlets and like boots Mm. and then you have characters that are like rivals in this and they don't do anything like that not again like not to like reuse ideas but 
I don't know, like something, anything like that, any hint towards that at all, that like these characters have been doing something in the background. And like, I, I, I keep thinking about this, like, I guess the closest that like it gets to sort of like building out the human ones into something even at all bigger is like uh, Bowl and Modeus. Yeah, exactly. And like, kind of a little bit, but not really. Like, yeah, and well, the reason why I brought up like, oh, you know, Virgil does that stuff to get those things is one of the things of pulling from myth is that these characters all have like a background when they come to mm-hmm. the story, which includes doing stuff like that. Like this character slew this mythical beast and then got this weapon made from their their bones or whatever, and then you encounter them in your story and they had their own story that they've gone through. Whereas these characters, like, yeah, I fought sparta and then i waited for two thousand years and now i'm gonna fight you and like i guess you know to 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 go with the sort of like neon genesis evangelion school of like uh appropriating religious iconography <laughs> i guess you know bowel is bail and modeus is uh asmodeus so like <laughs> there's a little bit of that but again it's just so minor in comparison to the a million gray blobs that dante kills and yeah. also that one with the weird mask that I don't know what that's trying to be. Mm-hmm. Like, it's supposed to be sort of, I guess, ephemeral, because it's like, you know, a wish-granting demon kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, like, overall, it's just sort of, like, certainly it sounds like in the games more, it's a little more name-checky in terms of these these ideas. Yeah. Well, like, they, they pulled from something so that they could do something with it. Whereas right. when this like they name drop Belphegor and what's Belphegor? A, a guy, a chump who gets stabbed back into a portal. Right, like it doesn't take time to like go into oh you know Belphegor's based on well it's like a name that shows up in other media <laughs> like that's a that's a thing right it's he has nothing to do with like his deadly sin right he's he doesn't have anything to do with sloth except that he takes for fucking ever <laughs> like other than that. <laughs> My lord's gonna show up, I swear. He's he's coming. Just you wait. <laughs> and then you have, like, Modeus. Modeus doesn't really have anything to do with lust, I guess, unless you really pervert the idea of what lust is. Yeah. And Bowel doesn't really have anything to do with storms. So, like, whatever. And then we have one last message here. This comes from friend of the show, QB, and says... Like how West of Loathing is a good translation of the fun aspects of a browser MMORPG into a single-player RPG... Does the Devil May Cry anime convey what's fun about the game? And if not, what could they have done instead to get across the feeling of playing character action? And we talked about this a little bit. Action sucks in this anime. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, like his, I mentioned the style rankings before. Dante's style ranking in this would be abysmal. He does not mix it up at all. Right, it's just I shoot my guns a lot. Yeah, it has the cadence of an anime fight, like a boilerplate anime fight in many cases. Right, it's... It's got a very similar feel to, like, very old shonen, where sort of, like, the appeal is that they are big and buff and punching each other, and not that it is dynamic. Mm-hmm. But character action is built on dynamicism in a way that, like, if Dante had, like, I don't know, eight moves in this anime, <laughs> he could do something with it, but his moves are shoot, um, slash sword, and stab sword through chin. And honestly, he doesn't even do that much slash. It's a lot of stabbing, which is weird because you you do a lot more slashing in the games generally. <laughs> but like, he doesn't have the stinger, which is like a big thing. Uh, what's the 
what's the name of that move where he stabs really fast? Like the thousand uh, million stab. Million stab. Okay, it's like we can play with these things, but it doesn't do that in the anime. Like it kind of postures at it. There's kind of a cool moment in the 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 bowel fight where he like leaves his sword standing up for Bell to fall on. Yeah. But like in terms of like actual move differences, he really doesn't have anything. Which is pretty strange because I feel like a lot of people when Devil May Cry came out, and especially with three, they felt like, wow, this is flashy. Like it in some ways translates what I like about anime fights into like game mechanics. And then when you translate it back to anime you well you don't. <laughs> Right, because like the point of Devil May Cry is that you do a lot of different moves to sort of like make things flashy, and you have like a huge move pool of not only different sword things you can do, but different gun things you can do. Yeah, exactly. The, there's like a range of moves. There's a range of weapons and styles, and even in the cutscenes when he does stuff that you can't do in like games, like that that still reaches beyond. Like it's okay that he does it because maybe in the game it wouldn't make much sense. To do, like, I could imagine slotting some of those things in, like, mechanically, like, programming them would be a nightmare. So it's okay that they're not in the game, but they are cool for a cutscene. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, he's not, he's not doing, the, he's not taking time out of the fight to goof around or anything, really, which is, again, like, what most of these moves you wouldn't actually do would fit in. And even then, some moves in Devil May Cry let you goof around. But there's just no dynamicism at all to the way he fights. It sort of postures at that in episode 10 and then sort of just like otherwise like he parries a motorcycle, I guess. Like, that's all right. And God, can we just reflect on the fact that like we have to say he parries a motorcycle, I guess. Yeah, like that should be way cool. But he just like he parries the motorcycle and then shoots it a lot. Like, (laughs) come on. Breathe some life into parrying a motorcycle, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this whole like. That's really the the appeal of Devil May Cry to me. And, like, again, if I'm going to bring up the reboot, I could say, like, the cutscenes, like, they're more inventive than this is, but less so than the games generally, the original games are. Mm -hmm. And, like, that was a point of contention for me. And then to see this, which is supposed to tie into, like, the canon series, be even more boring about it is just, like... I can see why people who worked at Capcom did actually have input on the reboot, because clearly some <laughs> of them all along didn't really know why Devil May Cry was good. Mm-hmm. And, like, man, like, just to, I guess as an aside, this is not good, but it's not nearly as low as, like, DMC Devil May Cry's lows, like... Oh, yeah, there's nothing that's really, like... I would almost think you made it up if you told me some of the stuff that right. happens. Like someone said, <laughs> there's sniper rifle abortion in relation to <laughs> DMC Devil May Cry. You were thinking the exact same thing I was. Oh, that, it's <laughs> just the most absurdly like edgy, <laughs> hard thing I can imagine. Right. Devil May Cry has a really out of place, awkward, good for nothing, like prison rape joke in the anime. But it, it but it is over and done within seconds. DMC Devil May Cry has a segment where you watch Virgil Sniper abort a demon baby. Yeah, and then uh, when you show up to fight uh, well, he's still supposed to be uh, Mundus, but they say Mundus in that one. It's like, yeah, it sounds more like mundane. How fitting. 
But the first thing he says is, why did you kill my child? And then Donnie's like, yeah, seeing that baby get blown to bits, Price is like, what the fuck, dude? What the fuck is wrong with you? Well, I don't like this guy. I want everyone to die in this game. Just everyone can die. I hate all of them. <laughs> and I think that's like a thing to point out. Like, in a lot of cases, a thing being bad is better than a thing being boring. Yeah, but exactly. DMC Devil May Cry is more like offensive versus boring and i'd rather yeah. be something to be boring than like actually offensive yeah but i will say this to that again like it is a video game i played the demo at least like it's an okay game i would rather i can skip the cutscenes and i guess i still have to listen to the incidental dialogue in the game so the but like i can turn down the voice volume i can still play an okay character action game or i can watch devil may cry the anime where yeah, I'm not ever going to be like completely taken aback by something, but I'm not really going to feel a lot in general. <laughs> and like that's that's bad in it's a completely different light. Okay, it's not problematic outside of one extremely bad thing, but you still have to make a piece of media. <laughs> right, it's it's just like it's just you you're not invested in anything. So it's a, it's it's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. But yeah, it does not capture the game at all. And I think Honestly, if you just had better action direction, I could imagine, like, starting to be more into this, where, like, if the fights were cool, I could understand where an appeal was for the original games, where, like, it, you know, they're mixing up moves, and they're, like, really making these fights worth something. That, I think, just, like, better choreography in general would be enough to sort of, like, show like the a good part of how the gameplay goes like with character action yeah this is like i guess this wouldn't really count as homework because it's great but just like watch the cutscene i can't remember if it would be labeled like this it might be on like youtube or something just look up welcome back from devil may cry 3 i can't remember what mission number it is uh, but that has so much style packed into it like it's ridiculous and it's over the top but it's so fun and it's just a cutscene of like lady like just using guns doing so much more than what happens in this because it it does occasionally posture at this idea of like what makes character action fun with the fact that they all have these different you know these wildly different weapons and stuff but like it also just it's too flat like even the best fight sequence is, you know, episode 10, where they actually give a damn about showing off a full fight. And it's, there's ambition, but it clearly still doesn't get it, because, like, Dante's not doing a lot of cool moves. Yeah, in another show, I wouldn't think it's exceptional at all. So, like, yeah, it's like, the writer for episode 10 may have had an idea of why people like Devil May Cry, but certainly had no idea how to present it. Yeah, I think that can go for a lot of the shows. Like, just words like "he's an asshole" or "he's cool" are what seem to drive the show. Like, it is the broadest broad strokes of Devil May Cry without any of the fine detail that actually makes it unique. And if you do just the broad strokes, then what you get is a bunch of things you've already seen. <laughs> you just you get the influences of Devil May Cry worn on its sleeve. And then they rip away the shirt and they're just wearing sleeves. 
yeah, because like you you give him I don't know five more moves and constantly use those five moves, you could begin to understand where like oh this the anime is okay, like the action's all right, but yeah, it's just the direction is lifeless. Yeah, I think of shows that have like less color and detail, but much more like pop to them. I mm-hmm. I think that would just fit this show a lot better. Like, yeah, the games kind of have a different ambiance. Like, the first one especially has, like, a gothic ambiance, but it was also a, still a spinoff of Resident Evil. Like, the back of the box still describes stuff in that game as, like, terrifying or whatever, because they didn't know how to market <laughs> it yet. So, yeah, it's just... it It doesn't get it because it can't properly display, like, any of Dante's cool moves. Mm-hmm. It can't even get a devil trigger in. <laughs> yeah, which would be the easiest. It's just, just have a devil trigger, and then you can just have him shoot a lightning bolt or whatever, like he does in the games. Like, just, but no, it's just a sword slash. Trish and Lady in the last episode have more interesting combat bits than anything Dante does in twelve episodes. Because mm-hmm. like. They're kind of playing off each other, they're using their weapons, they're using different weapons too, like, uh, at one point, Lady's bazooka gets stolen and she has to move to, like, pistols. And then, at the end, Lady shoots a missile, Trish jumps on it, like, powers it up with electricity, and then lets it fly into Abigail's face. And you know what? That's one cool part. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, other than that, they keep focusing on Dante, who has, just, he needs, like, I don't know, a move. <laughs> yeah, also, it doesn't do anything. That that whole cool music, and then they cap it off with, oh, nothing happened. Not like, it would be better if maybe that whole scene, too, because again, like, this really undersells those two characters. Like, I, I don't know, it's never really shown in Devil May Cry that they absolutely can't do the things that Dante does. Like, yeah, to a point, that is true. But it should have been like, oh, you know, like, we can't quite break through to the other side. Like, we can't beat him, but we can at least hold him down. But no, it's like they shoot a missile at him, charge it up, do a cool move, and it doesn't do anything. It's like, all right, well, I guess we have nothing to do. I guess we just can't do anything, and more civilians are going to get killed, and we're just going to sit on a big pile of corpses. Or just have them, like, fight, like, a t- like have that be the final move against some, like, titan-sized demon. Like, yeah. give a sense of fucking scale. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. But yeah, it just doesn't get it. It doesn't get it. And I think that's, like, the, the primary thing. It just doesn't get character action or Devil May Cry as, like, a property. Yeah. Yeah. Though, I mean, now I guess I'm in the mood to play Devil May Cry. But, like, I already bought those games, so it's not like it, it made a sale off of these. <laughs> right. You're interested because you watched a thing that doesn't properly, like, give you the same feeling as playing those games do, so you just want to play the games again. Yeah, I guess maybe in yeah, like 2007, I guess that's one thing they could say is just because you could pirate stuff, but I guess it wasn't quite as widespread. It's like, oh, people are going to buy this. They're going to buy right. it because there's Devil May Cry on it. And that's just uh, that's just the worst thing to think about a piece of media, isn't it? <laughs> hey, we put the name on it. We're good. We got this. <laughs> I think that's everything I have to say about (laughs) Devil May Cry, the animated series. We've said a lot about this very middle-of-the-road series. It's... it's so... 
it, it's not so close to being good, but like it has the seeds of a good series. Yeah. And just there are so many things going into it that like undermine it that <sighs> there was an opportunity there. Yeah, I think just the weirdest thing about Devil May Cry, the animated series, is that it's not good in any of the ways you'd expect it to be. And it's not bad enough at what it's bad at to make it interesting that it's not good at any of the things it's supposed to be good at. And yet we can't stop talking about the things that it almost does good. Yeah, well, there's a big resounding... Like, it's not the only piece of media I've experienced this with. But anytime it does come up, it is the most mystifying thing where I look at something and just say, but why didn't you do anything else with it? Like, why did you look at this and say, it's good? Why do you look at this and say, like, it's done? Or, like, it's good enough, like... Yeah, like, again, like, media... Like, it costs money to make this stuff. It costs, like, a... Maybe not, like, unbelievable amounts, not like a Hollywood movie or something, but... Like, you had to arrange for this to happen... And then you made this. It's always weird with big, large-scale projects when it becomes, and you made this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just... It's a shame because you can see the potential there in in so many of these episodes, and it just doesn't reach it in ways that are really infuriating because they're constantly the same problem. Yeah. Well, I guess another way I could put it is... Uh, it seems like no one working on this anime realized how gay Devil May Cry is. <laughs> I mean, also when they should have. God, I'm trying to think of the last time I was like this mad about a show being mediocre, and I can't <laughs> think of it. Yeah, I mean, the last piece of media I could react to, and it's not even something I bought or played because I could look at it and tell it was mediocre, it was like Valkyria Revolution. <laughs> Like, right, sure. It's a spin-off, like it's a spin-off of a well-liked series. Well, I mean, maybe well-liked one game in the series with varying opinions, but you know, it's a spin-off. And every time I looked at, it, I'm like, but where's the the twist? Where's the interesting part? Like you keep showing me stuff <laughs> I've already seen before, and like, what do you know? That game came out last year, and it already sells for like six dollars. <laughs> so right, it's one of those things where someone took a base of something extremely interesting and, like, foundational and took everything interesting out and then didn't replace it with anything and then released it. Yeah, I won't say it's a waste of my time because we got. To, I, I'm glad we got to talk about it and now I can right. say I know, but it would be a waste of your time to watch it afterwards, anyone who watches it. Right, don't. Maybe just don't. It's okay. I can't even say watch it for a lot. It's just not that... It's not funny to laugh at. Watch Death Poker. <laughs> yeah, watch Death Poker. Literally just watch episode 9, and I think you'll be good. Mm-hmm. Watch Death Poker, and then just play Devil May Cry 1. I even like... like I like 2. I know it's not very good, but uh played a bunch of other PS2 action games, and I feel like people forget how bad games could be in that era. Um... <laughs> But even still, I'll say, like, just play Devil May Cry. Like, that, there's that HD collection coming out of the games, uh, the first three, at least, and, like, four just, you know, got that special edition, so it's on all the, the latest stuff. Just play that, like, if you, if you want Devil May Cry. If you don't know about it, just do that. <laughs> really, yeah, it's going to cost money, and maybe you already have, like, a Crunchyroll subscription or a Funimation account or something, and you can watch Devil May Cry. It's time, like, time isn't exactly money. 
But in the sense that time is money, this is a bigger waste of it. You could watch a better action show about demons. Mm -hmm. You could watch, in fact, you could watch uh, Kekai Sensor Blood Blockade Battlefront, which is like a way better, like, integration of, like, demon and human world sort of, like, you know, discussion of, like, what it's like that these two races, like, coexist. Or these, two, you know, these two species coexist. Like, there are things that do, like, the same sort of idea of Devil May Cry way better than the anime does. Mm-hmm. I don't know, watch Gungrave. I, like, like <laughs> there's so many things that you could just watch instead that are, like, better opportunities for, like, the same type of story. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Anyways, I'm glad we had this episode. I'm glad I got to air all my dirty lodge. Like, you know, I don't always feel like I just get to, like, complain about something a lot. <laughs> I try to stay, you know, a little more positive. But, like, it felt so cathartic to, like, complain about a thing that could have been okay. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I uh, I don't like to do that much either, but I feel like there's just not a lot out there about this show to, to base like i i always heard from some people oh yeah it's not that good but like <laughs> it is worse than that than just it's not that good but also it's not like it's not a legendarily awful thing which is why you don't hear about it. right so like no one talks about it and no one's ever asked about it in interviews so like mm-hmm. The only place you're going to get this hard-hitting coverage about a, a, a video game tie-in anime that no one cares about. Now you know why. Ugh. At least you guys know. <laughs> Ugh. We watched this so that you don't have to. Anyways, thanks, Sid, for joining me on the show. Where can people find you online if they want to hear more of your opinions? <laughs> um. Well, I... uh. I'm on Twitter at Beam Splash X. Uh, definitely came up with that one in middle school. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm, glad, uh, <laughs> I'm glad none of my middle school stuff has ever come through because I don't want to be the person that, like, now in my 20s goes by Night Ninja Naruto. <laughs> <laughs> Beam Splash X, of all things, not the worst. Like, mm-hmm. you know, middle school name you could have come up with. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I'm okay enough with it to stick with it. And also, hey, the reason I kept using it, it's never taken on any websites I sign up for. It doesn't have any numbers in it. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, yeah, but also, uh, I write music. Uh, it's been, I've been away from it a while, though I did just do, like, another opening theme for another friend's podcast. So I'll probably tweet about that when it comes up. It's a it's a synth cover of John Cena's theme because it's a wrestling podcast. So cool. not reflective of most of my music. Uh but my uh my bandcamp page is linked on my Twitter. Uh, I also have a games podcast called We Thought About Games. You can find that on Twitter at ThoughtABTGames or we thoughtaboutgames.com. Five episodes, erratic release schedule, but after I actually was working on uh watching Devil May Cry uh, for this month. Uh, but the fifth episode is recorded, and I have all the files set up, so I'm going to be editing that. So, or episode six. So that's going to be uh, Dragon's Dogma, which actually was also directed by Hideaki Itsuno. So if you want to know a little more about him and what he worked on after Devil May Cry 4, you hear about it there. Also, those podcasts may be longer than ours. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, they're pretty lengthy, but I, uh, as a combination of the historical context of which the game is in, criticizing an aspect about it that might not have held up as well as like praising things it does well, as well as also being our personal experiences about it, because I can't really match like games historians or journalists who like talk to people who made these games, obviously. But mm-hmm. what I can communicate at least is like a personal experience I and my whatever guests I have on for that episode have had. So yeah, you can hear about the backstory for near anywhere. But if you want to hear about it from people who played that game of our own accord, just because we thought it seemed interesting and like what it's like for people like that, like without any hype or anything driving it, just we want to play this game and we did. I'd like to think that that's the strength of it. Mm-hmm. And as always, you can find me at Chorpsaway, C-H-O-R-P-S-A-W-A-Y. Also surprisingly not taken on any websites when I try it. <laughs> the only time it's taken is when I forget my password, <laughs> like on PSN. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, uh, I'm, I'm available there. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at uh, Chorpsaway as well. I think the, the unique you, YouTube.com one is ChorpsawaySA. Otherwise, you can find the podcast at Coco underscore Disaster on Twitter. You can find us at CocoDisaster.com. And from there, you'll be able to reach the RSS feed. You'll be able to find the latest episode and notes. You'll be able to find uh, our archived episodes. And you'll be able to find a link to our text-only blog, which is Vanilla Blessing, which is Vanilla-Blessing.tumblr.com, where me and friend of the show, QB just discuss you know we we talk about things that maybe don't fit the podcast format or things that you know interest us and we just want to be able to get all of our thoughts out there um other than that uh thank you again for being on the show sid and sitting with me for uh three some hours now talking about this (laughs) yeah thanks for having me on i uh, i had a good time we gave this more care than maybe anyone else ever has And until next time, where we'll be doing our seasonal coverage, talking about the upcoming shows for spring 2018 and our thoughts on the winter 2018 shows, uh, I've been Chorps Away. And I've been Beam Splash. And sweet dreams. Go!